like hit record and you're done. Yeah, you can you're get to, you, you can, have to type it out. <laughs> you can get yeah, that's that's one of my questions as well because when yeah, let, let's get into it. All, All right. right, Keith Mulligan, where are you? Podcast. Thanks for doing this, Keith. How you doing? Appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. We've already done our, as I do with every time, we've already had a podcast because I've just been hammering <laughs> your questions and uh, we're here in your lovely house and we're just looking at, um, just, uh, I don't know, you explain it, Keith, what we're looking at, all these magazines and what we just uh, kind of looked. Um, I have a nice big bookcase that's filled with magazines, uh, everything from my first BMX magazines in like 1981 to skateboarding magazines to chopper magazines uh a whole whole mix big brother as well i, I want to look yeah. at a few of those i never saw that big brother skate magazine yeah. awesome unbelievable all right well we'll dive into the magazine stuff later so <laughs> let's uh go back to how how it started how do you find bmx uh new york long island right yep long island um grew up in a small town called miller place and um 1981 a track opened up less than a mile from my house and um you know it's just down the main road and you know going past it one day i don't know if it was with my whole family or my dad but um we pulled over like hey what are they doing here and um you know we found out they're building this bmx track and instantly um we're like oh this is cool and my dad started helping out building it before you know it was even open and um i had a i had a bike i have no idea what the bike was it wasn't a, a BMX brand at, at all, but, um, you know, it's like we had little little paths in the woods that we rode around and, you know, just neighborhood kids on bikes. So it was interesting. And, uh, you know, opening day I was racing. And um, so that was 1981. And um, I don't know, kind of went from there. Who was, because I, I listen to a lot of Joe's podcast and it does, and we talked about it earlier. He's done a lot of the guys from Long Island and a lot of your old crew. Yep. Um, who were the, some of you, I know you guys are all close in ages, was like Ronnie Gasker, Tim Strelecki. Did, did you actually race them guys at the start or you guys? Um, well, Timmy and Ronnie were probably like a year and a half, two years younger than me. So in age group racing, you know, as far as nationals and stuff, we, we never raced each other. Um, but down down the line at our um, our local track Shoreham, we created a fourteen over open class, and that became like the hottest thing. So you know you had guys that were fourteen, you had guys that were you know in their twenties racing each other, and um, we'll probably get into the Shoreham scene. But um, we had a heavy heavy local scene. So the main events, even the semis, we had quarters for that class at wow. lo- local races. Like it was, it was like racing a national. Right. And it was, you know, you had guys like Timmy and Ronnie who were super, super fast. You know, Timmy's like multi-world champion, um, racing the guys that were 18, 19 that were fast in their own class. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was intense. Who who was kind of, when you guys are still kind of coming up the ranks and who was kind of like the local hero or the, the, the top pro over there? Was it Robin Morales or was this people above him? Um, you know, I guess for Long Island, there's um, there's multi generations, and I think the first the the early generation like is almost unknown. Right. Like, a lot of the guys like I started in '81 at um, that track in Miller Place, and that track was only around for a year. And then there was another one um, not too far away, maybe half hour, called Par Meadows, and then that was around for a year. And then there was Shore and BMX that came in like '83, and so from, let's say, just the Shoreham scene, you have 1983, 
and the, the track's still going now. Guys like Strzelecki or Rob Morales, they were more like late 80s, right. early 90s. Mm-hmm. So you, you have, you know, five, six, seven years of, um, of guys that no one really even knows about unless you were racing back then. But um, in the, the kind of the, the known years of like, you know, all the guys that were churning out of that track, like definitely Timmy Strzelecki, um, he won four world championships, yeah. multiple number one national titles. Um, Ronnie Gaska, I don't know. Um, he definitely was... got like number ones. I don't know how many he got. Justin Lafredo. Um, Robbie Morales was, he wasn't like a OG Schwarm guy. Like he lived out a little bit closer towards the city, like Nassau County on Long Island. And I think he raced ABA at first. So... Like, I saw Robbie more in the magazine before he started coming out to our track. Hmm. Like, he, um, I think he raced ABAs more. And then, like, when he first got on, um, you know, I don't know if it was uh, maybe before Auburn. But, you know, around that time, that's when he started coming out to Shoreham, where, you know, um, that was more late 80s. But um, definitely Robbie. Um we really didn't have like pros that came out of out of Shoreham. Um, there were guys who turned pro and raced superclass and stuff, but we never had like a double A, you know, other than like Timmy. Right. Um, you know, we didn't have that guy. But um, we had a lot of guys that came out to the track for for different summer tours or clinics. Like sometime in the eighties, Mike Miranda came out to the track. Um, we had GT would do their um summer tour like clinics at the track and i remember there was one year there was over a hundred kids at their clinic and wow. like we had to help out do the clinic you know it's like right. danny nelson gary Oz, <laughs> he got Justin Green, it's like they're like we need help right so it's like me and timmy are in there helping and right. um because there's so many kids we had such a huge um local scene it was amazing wow um who else there's like early was the guy that died, Bobby... Ir- Ir- Bobby Ivanella. Was, he was, was he from New York? He was from upstate New York. Right. Um, he was real good. Yeah. Um, you know, upstate had a couple guys that were, that were really fast. Um, i trying to think of other, like, national caliber guys from Shoreham. I mean, every class had a few guys that had national numbers. Um, yeah. You know, and, like, to me, the first years of national numbers, it's like, if you got top 40 you got a national number mm-hmm. and you were good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there was, it was big back then. Yeah. Um, but then it started filtering down to like, all right, we got guys that are getting top five and, you know, number ones and stuff. How did uh, your, your, when did you start to get good then? When was you like, your breakout year, would you say? I think for me, um, it's funny when I first started racing, like the early eighties, um, you know, like I, I won a couple of nationals and, I got this plaque and it was like national 10 year old rider. And I, I really, it, that was like 1983. It was right. WW BMXA. And, um, I still, to this day, I don't know if I got number one or <laughs> it was just a weird, like maybe right. I was novice back then. I don't know. But right. I got this like national 10 year old right. plaque. Claim but, it, um, claim it. <laughs> yeah. But then like, um, mid eighties, I don't think I was that good. Like I, I would get beat at the locals by other guys in my class, you know? And then I think towards like the late eighties, like when I was 16, 17, that's when I kind of like came into my own and found, found speed and, and, um, track skills. Mm-hmm. So 
probably, you know, 16, 17, 18 was to me like my best racing years. Um, so when you, you came out to, you went, no, I, I talked about it in the post. I made, you know, when I was asking for some questions a few days ago, you know, the first, we met you guys when we came in, um, came out in early 90. But anyway, we met you guys at the Christmas Classic, all you guys. And then you guys, it seemed like an NBL bunch of you guys all came out for the Worlds in Norway. And I remember we all hung out with you guys and got to know you guys really good. And obviously there's a Cyclecraft team. There was you, you know, uh, Brian Foster, Rich Bartlett. Um, Timmy. Timmy, obviously, because he won there. Um, and obviously you came second behind Dylan Clayton. How was you, and we'll talk about that in a second, mm-hmm. how was you doing in the U.S. at the time? Because so you'd have been racing Justin Green, Thunder. Yeah, I always had, I had the, um, the shitty birthday. You know, my birthday was like two weeks before the Grands. Right. So I'd race all year, do good at nationals, and then go to the Grands, and it's like all of a sudden I'm racing guys a year older than me. Right. And when you're, when you're a teenager that year makes a difference, mm-hmm. you know? Um, there's a difference between 14 years old and 15. Oh, you yeah. know? There's a difference between 16, 17, 18. Yeah. So that year that I got second at the Worlds, I was up for number one in um, 17 and over expert. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because... Um, it was 17 and over, was it? I think it was 17 and over yeah. at that point. And um, it's funny because I was on Cyclecraft... Might be confusing. You went on Cyclecraft. You was on Dan's there. I was on Dan's right. at the World, mm. but maybe it was the year. It had to be the same year. But I remember um, I got number five that year at the Grands. No, I, yeah. So I turned um, I turned eighteen. So it was eighteen and over expert. Right. So it was my first Grands at eighteen over expert because I was seventeen at the World in Norway. Um, got second at the World in Norway. And then got number five for the year national that same year. Mm -hmm. And I ran the five plate because, to me, that was a bigger accomplishment than getting second. Who was the other guys? Robin Morales? Was that when he got number one? No. um, It could have been... It could have been... Brian Foster. Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny because that year... You know, I'm racing 17 expert, but I'm, you know, listed in the standings at 18 Rex. Right. So, like, I'm winning nationals, and I remember I would clip out the, uh, I would clip out the, the point standings. Right. <laughs> and this is when Brian lived in Tennessee at Cyclecraft. Right. And I don't know what, I think after, I don't know what point I got on Cyclecraft, but I would mail him the point standings with me in first, and he would be in like third or fourth or something, and like just a funny like, yeah, you know, look where I'm at, dude. Right, and um, you know he would like mail shit back, and um, it's actually back in actually, the days like, when mailed, yeah, actually pen, mail letters to each friends. other, you know. <laughs> but um, <laughs> and yeah, so I got second in the world at um, at Norway, and then. That year at the Grands, I ended up number five. And that's also, there's a funny story to that race. Um, but yeah, I ran the number five because to me, like, that was a whole year mm-hmm. of, you know, um, going for something where the Worlds was like, it was a one shot, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, you could have won, you could have got eighth, you could have, you know, crashed in the semi. So I think at the time, it's you guys didn't cr- pr- probably know what the Worlds was like, what it meant to us, the Europeans. It was our Olympics. It was... And I think that kicked in later for the Americans because you guys, it was still the most prestigious to win anything out here. And that's where I... Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's like when you race 
ABA or NBL, it's like that's your whole year. Yeah. You're going after that title and it's everything's in the US. The world, it's like, man, maybe you get to one, maybe you get to a couple, maybe mm-hmm. you don't ever go to them. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're rarely, you know, in the US. It's like, I don't know how every five, ten years. So mm-hmm. it, it, it was just a weird one off race and, you know, um, Nobody in our scene was really going except for like Timmy was the first guy to like go to the worlds. Right. Um, he came to France away, the year before, know? yeah. Like he did, I think, France, Spain, um, he they, won Norway. They did the FIAC worlds as well. There's actually two worlds at the times in yep. the late 80s, early 90s. And I think, yeah, Timmy, I think a bunch of those guys, Percy Owens and a few of those guys, did that one as well as the. I think he won, Timmy won both in one year. Right. So the year of France. And then UCI and. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that Cyclecraft team. You know, like I say, it was kind of a bit of a little little dream team, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, East Coast, Northeast, uh, Cyclecraft is, was pretty big. Mm. You know, like bike companies are regional. You have like California, everyone's got an S&M. You know, you go to the Midwest, people have a standard. You go to Florida, there's MCS. Mm-hmm. You know, Northeast, early 80s, it was brands like Thruster. And then, um, you know, in like the the late 80s, early 90s, Cyclecraft became real big in the Northeast, and, and Tim Sherlocky was on, so he was kind of like someone in the area um, that helped push the bikes. Brian was um, from Mar- Maryland, and he would come up, you know, our way a lot. So they were both on Cyclecraft, and Cyclecraft was huge Northeast. And um, I got on the team right after Dan's, so um, I was either seventeen, I had to be seventeen, um, and that was like. You know, it was like a dream come true. Yeah, I love that uniform. I rode for Cyclecraft in 1988. It was just a, a blue, and then it got more colorful when you guys were on there. And I love—I'd already moved on to different teams then, but always loved that look. You know, like I say, when you guys came out to, uh, like I say, you wasn't on Cyclecraft then, but anyway, there was like Barry McManus and Brian Colgrove and all those guys came out. Like, I mean, people still talk about yep. that Cyclecraft team then with Shag and <clears throat> and Brian and uh, Rich Bartlett and everybody. You know, so. I actually remember. So we were just talking about like the Grands that year. Um, when I turned 18 and raced the Grands, I was on Dan's and there was, I have photos of like, you know, motos or semis and it's like me, Brian Foster, uh, Mike Lausman, a couple of guys. And, uh, yeah, I have the Dan's uniform on there. So I think right after that Grands, I got on Cyclecraft. Right. So I was probably 17, you know, it was like fall of, of. Um, what kind of like deal would that have been then back then for you guys like amateur on that team um nationals were paid for like Like everything entry fees Mm. um no travel but um entry fees were paid for you know that those are the days of like team trophy so Mm. it's like they were entering in team competition um you know frame and fork parts from like co-sponsors um and then we actually if you made the main and got like I don't know if you, you know, only first or first, second, third, like they gave us a little bit of money, you know, it wasn't, you know, it's maybe like you got 40 bucks or 60 bucks if like you were right. a main at a national. Um, so I remember getting a little bit of money from Cyclecraft, but you know, um, I don't know if that was all the time or just random, but, um, and maybe that was something where they got money for winning team trophy that weekend so they and they split, like, it. split it a little bit. But, um, I remember the first, um, package I got and it's like, you know, twenty inch frame, right. cruiser frame, right. you know, brakes from Odyssey, um, you know, hat, t shirts, like all this stuff and it's like right. the, you know, better than Christmas. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah, God, yeah. Look yeah. at all this, you know? And right. um 
I have a photo of my like parents holding like one of my frames, and my dad's got like some crap hat on, all crooked. And it's like right. I remember that day. You yeah, know? no. Um, and and I remember clearly like getting on Cycrecraft. Brian Foster called me and he like asked me to be on the team. And um, that, so like Brian was the guy that kind of got you on. Yeah. So um, you know, at the time he lived in Tennessee, worked at Cycrecraft. He lived with the Martinos who who owned it. Um, I think him and Pete Deluski eventually lived in the Oh, because Pete the worked warehouse. there as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, after, I think after that, that Grands, um, they had a talk. And, you know, I think also, like, I was in a good area. Northeast was big for Psychocraft. Timmy was a different age group than me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I don't know if Brian had thoughts of moving on to Superclass, so, like, I would fill that kind of 18X spot. Right. But, uh, yeah, I remember Brian calling me. He's like, hey, dude, like... You want to, you want to be on the team? Yeah, like, yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So and that was cool. And then I remember um, I ended up getting like Brian painted the bikes, but he also painted some helmets at the time. And um, I ended up getting Timmy's helmet, and then Brian painted a new one for Timmy. So that was always cool. Like um, was like Timmy and I were like, you know, Timmy was like my brother. Mm. Like you know, in our teenage years, growing up, like. We were best friends, riding together every day, you know, going to races and stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty cool being teammates with like some of your best friends, you know. What were you guys taking it serious then? Like, I know obviously you're taking racing serious, but like training and stuff. Because Timmy was known for training hard, wasn't he? Yeah, you know, for us, training was like riding every day at the trails. Yeah, and um, Timmy lived in an area that had a lot of hills, so Timmy would ride places like he would ride to the trails. And he might ride like a half hour to an hour to get to the trails. Mm-hmm. And then he, he had to ride up hills to get home. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we'd get dropped off at the trails right. if we didn't have a car. Right. <laughs> so Timmy was always like, he was always pushing harder than anyone. And he had a different mentality than everyone. I don't know where it came from, but he was the headstrong guy. Right. Like, really wanted to win. He was the last guy doing laps before dark where mm-hmm. everyone else was like, I can't see anymore. Mm-hmm. He'd still be doing laps. And he'd be, you know, charging up those hills to get home where we weren't, you know, nobody was going to the gym or like, you know, doing anything like that. We just rode trails every day and the track was open one day a week. So yeah. that's, that's what we had, you know, but, and you think of like how training is now, it's like you got amateurs that go to the gym, you know, if you're a pro, like you better be going to the gym. Oh yeah. yeah Sprints, yeah. you know, like crazy nutrition like that then. If it existed, it wasn't part of our scene. Right. Nobody did that. Yeah, no. Um, tell us about your, your parents, because they were heavily involved in, in MBL. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, tell us a little bit about... <laughs> yeah, like I said, day, from day one, like we saw this track being built, and it was just appealing to everyone. So we went out there, and you know, my dad's like, well, I'll help. You know, this, this looks cool. And my dad, was, um, my dad was an electrician, and he was also like... A guy who loved being outside so helping build a bmx track like that's up his alley as far as like hey i'm outside i'm doing physical work like my dad loved doing stuff like that mm-hmm. my mom was a secretary so she helped out at the track like organizing all the registration and you know scoring and stuff like that and it just kind of those things fit their personalities um you know and i liked riding bikes so like we instantly found this thing that was like a cool thing that you know was a hobby for everyone um i have a sister who she was into horses mm-hmm. so 
you know, she ended up getting a horse while I was racing BMX and my parents would split time, like, you know, go to the BMX track in the morning and then go to the stable with her. And like, you know, she did some horse shows and spend time with her on that. But, um, they really got into BMX and I think they made a lot of really good friends Mm -hmm. in there. So, um, you know, they would take us to nationals and then they started working at, you know, the MBL races. And, um, I want to say my mom, um, she either developed or kind of sorted out the way, um, either something along the lines of registration or scoring that the NBL kind of adopted. Uh, oh, wow. I could be wrong on that, but I, I kind of remember she created something that like other, other people started using, um, as far as like sh- sanctioned stuff goes. I don't know what it was, but, uh, for some reason that's in my head that she, um, figured out something that everyone else started using. Yeah. Now with them, the NBL board as well, right? Um, I think my mom was, and like my mom would go to the nationals, not every race, but, um, races I went to and she'd work in the, the trailer at the finish line. Mm-hmm. So registration, scoring, moto sheets, all that shit. Mm. My dad would go to the nationals and he would, um, do the gate starts. Right. Yes. And, um, as far as the board, I think my mom was on the board for a number of years. My dad really wasn't interested in that stuff. Um, he just liked being at the races. Yeah, yeah. You know? And running the gates, an easy, fun thing to do, Probably I guess. did that for a long you know? time, because he was running the gate when I was yeah. racing, yeah. You know, he did it for a long time, and, you know, it's like, I think they, they, they kept going to races after I moved out to California, because... Um, they had a lot of friends at the races and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, we still want to see them. Yeah. And, you know, and like we help out and they need help. So, um, they went for a real long time. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, your dad even, he was still doing the Vans triple crown. He did the gate for that, right? Yep. He did that. Um, and that was like an easy thing. It's like, you know, Magoo's creating this thing. It's kind of from scratch. They need help. Um, I'm going to go to these races, mm. you know, I'm going to try to race them. I'm going to shoot photos. The first one's at Woodward, PA, which is only, you know, four hours from my parents. So, of course, they're going to help out, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like they, they love BMX and, you know, so they they got in and, and started doing that stuff, too. Oh, cool. So, how did it transition into, so, we're, I guess that was, like, saying Norway. We'll, we'll go back to Norway because we've got some questions on, on that and racing with, with Dylan. Mm-hmm. Uh, from moving, what happened the next few years and then moving into California? So, would you like mid-90s California? Or 96. 96. So, yep. kind of the same time as me then, yeah. Um, so, you know, through the, the early mid-90s, um, good amateur years, I was on Cyclecraft. Um, after Cyclecraft, I was on Kavachi wheels for a bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Shag bought Cyclecraft things kind of changed there um and the team wasn't what it what it was and uh at some point i ended up leaving Cycraft and you know started riding for for kavachi wheels um and i had some injuries and uh i broke both my wrists uh about two weeks apart mm. so i was kind of laid up for a while and um that was like 94 95 and um did you race the world in Detroit? I did. And, uh, what class probably was made that? It, that 18 was and over? Probably 18 and over. Yeah. And, um, I think I probably made it to the semi and mm. then crashed in the first turn or something. Yeah. Um, but, um, I had injuries and I was always into photos. And anytime I'd get hurt, 
I'd shoot photos of everyone else riding, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, well, I can't ride, but I might as well shoot photos. I got really into photography from reading BMX magazines, you know? Um, I grew up on, you know, from the early magazines of Total BMX and Super BMX to BMX Plus and then BMX Action. Um, and you would just, let me, let me, you would just, you just show me some of your Total magazines. Tell me, tell, tell everyone with the, the one with your dad in as well. So there's uh, a... Yeah, so there's, I have... Um, I have a lot of early magazines from when I first started racing, and um, I have this one, Total BMX. Bob Haro's uh, on the cover. Bob Haro's on the cover, and uh, it's March 1982, and there was a, a race that's in the magazine. It was the Ironman Classic in Howell, New Jersey. And um, so this race was every year they did it the first, um, first weekend of December. And in the Northeast, you could have good weather, you could have horrible weather. It could be a blizzard. But no matter what, they raced this race, no matter what the weather was. <laughs> Sounds like England. <laughs> so, you know, there's ones where it was like bitter cold and snowing, and right. then there's ones where it's decent or it'd be raining. So we would go, and the, the prizes for this race in every class, first through third, was a, a new helmet. You know, it was either Premier one year or Simpson another year. And then they had like this amazing raffle, like everyone won something as far as like parts. And then the ultimate raffle prize was you got to go to the bike shop that, that, that was there, Bicycle World and build whatever bike you wanted, you know, and like cost, it wasn't an issue. So there's this huge Northeast race and, um, we would go and in this magazine, total BMX, um, my dad and I are in the results. My dad <laughs> raced cruiser. What bike did he have? He had a hutch. Right. Had a oh, hutch wow. Cruiser. And, um, it was awesome. You know, Chrome and anything hutch. And, um, so we, we raced this race a couple years and, um, that year my dad got Second place in 35 and over cruiser. Um, so he's in the standings in the magazine. I got second in eight novice behind Lori Preston. <laughs> <laughs> we should track and, it out. You should track it out. Yeah, <laughs> and a, a couple of people have seen this, so it's a, uh, it's a hard one to swallow. But I'm going to say that, you know, back then, I think they put girls in, uh, in classes below their age. So she might have been a few years older than, than eight, but... Uh, but yeah, I got second behind a girl. Oh, that's funny. But um, who won pro? We're looking at the results now. Pro race, um, John Sashel. I kind of remember that name. Mm-hmm. Dave Deckert, Mark Flores, and Hank Russ. Um, no, I don't remember. Not very big names, but like 15 expert, Rich Farside won. Oh, yeah, don't That's back. a name. Um, remember 14X, Dave Campbell. Um, Is that Dave Spanky Campbell? Spanky Campbell. Okay. Um, Let's see, Kent Gordy, sixteen to twenty-four cruiser. He was like a big Northeast name, um, but this was this wasn't a national, so it's like a regional big race, you know. And and there were good good amateurs back then. Um, Kenny Amon, sixteen expert, mongoose, right? Um, yeah, he might have even have been on like Blue Max. But um, you know, if you raced back in the early eighties, you knew these names: Jason Theodore, nine yes, expert, yes, um, Torker, right? Yep, he was on Torker. Um, no, uh, yeah, and then no, Th- Theodore. He was about my Jason age. Theodore. He yeah. even psychocrat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was some wild man pictures I've yep. seen him. Big dude, right? Yep, he was a big dude. Um, and then we would also go like that track, Howell, New Jersey. They also had War of the Stars, like the MDL Nationals, and um, you would see like Stu Thompson would be there. Um, Jason Jensen, like, mm-hmm. you know, f- the biggest names in amateur and pros. Like, I, I found a slide um, years ago that um, 
was from that race and it's just a photo of all the trophies right it's like you know hundreds of trophies they're gold they're huge and sitting next to the the table just by himself kind of like in deep thought is Stu thompson oh wow it's like Oh, I never, I never knew. Like, right. I'd, I'd seen that photo before, but then like a couple of years ago, I'm just looking through old family photos. I'm like, holy shit, Steve Thompson's in that photo. Right. Um, so that was pretty rad. To, That's cool. to see. But yeah, that was a that track had some big races, um, and that was early '80s. So that's why you kind of like said you was injured, so you started yeah. playing into so, photography? Yeah, magazines got me in, into photography, especially BMX Action. Who was your guy um, that you, like, you... I mean, BMX Action, like, I'm kind of bummed because I didn't find BMX Action until the late 80s. So throughout most of the 80s, it was BMX Plus mm-hmm. was all I saw. And the, the first couple issues of BMX Action that I saw, I was blown away. I was like, oh, this is like... This is the real deal. Yeah. You know, this isn't fluff, um, BMX Plus style editorial stuff. This is like, like badass photos, real interviews. Like it made look BMX look so cool to me. Mm-hmm. And um, Bob Osborne's photos, Wendy's photos, and especially Spike's, Spike Jones' photos, like that did it for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I would just see either it's racing photos or jumping photos um, that Spike shot and it was like I want to know how to shoot these photos so right there and then you're like okay I need to get into this you know it's like how did he take this photo you know it's like I'm at the trails or the track every day every week you know wanting to shoot photos of my friends and get the same results you know Mm -hmm. so um, that was like my biggest influence on photography and whenever I was injured I'd just pick up you know, camera and shoot photos at the trails or at the track. And, um, so that led into sending some photos to Brad McDonald at ride BMX magazine. And, um, the first photo that ride printed was a photo of Keith Terra, I think at a, at a skate park, indoor skate park on long Island doing like a, a look back or a turn down. And, um, Started sending him some stuff, and was you writing as well then, or not yet? Just, yeah, yeah, like he had me write a. Um, they did an article and ride like the I don't know if it was the four best dirt scenes or something at that time, and Seven Eleven Trails was one of them. So I wrote the uh, the write up for that, and um, the very first issue of Snap, Brad came out and shot photos of everyone on Long Island. We went to the BMX track and went to the trails, and he shot a bunch of photos. And at the time, we didn't know Snap was happening. So he didn't even tell you? So we all thought it was for Ride. Right. And then this issue of Snap comes out, the first issue of Snap, and it's got a whole like Long Island Yeah, is that the Billy Griggs cover, maybe? Uh, Billy's on the cover. Yeah. Um, I had a two-page spread, mm-hmm. you know, doing like a one-footed X up um, from the trails. and um, But I was sending stuff to Brad, and like I'd shoot a little bit of race stuff. Um, Steve Bundeck was doing Snap at the time, so... You know, they printed a little bit of race stuff and then um, some stuff for, for ride freestyle-wise. And that kind of um, started it for me with the magazine. And then Brad wanted the editor of Snap to be in California. Steve Bundeck was the editor at the time, and Steve didn't want to move. He, mm-hmm. he was in North Carolina. He liked it there. He wanted to, you know, kind of be based on the East Coast, which would be a nice change as far as, like, coverage and race stuff goes. But... The industry's out here. The weather's out here. If you're trying to make a, a monthly magazine or a bi-monthly at that time, it's just easier doing it on the West Coast. Um, 
So he um, he asked me to move out and be the editor. So that's uh, that's what brought me out. He was probably all about that anyway, right? It's like coming out here. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because I was planning on coming out to California. Because like Brian and uh, everyone was kind of trickling out here anyway when they yeah. were Um Timmy had moved out here. Brian was out here at the POW house, um, you know, before that. Timmy had moved out here. Timmy had gone to um, South Park and blew his knee out that summer. And I ended up hopping in the Schwinn truck with Tony Shinaka, Neil Wood, Timmy Ball, and driving cross country, coming out to California for a week. And I think that was just a random, like, wasn't planned at all, um, left from South Park. Like, I might have even told my parents, like, hey, can I go to California? <laughs> and they're like, well, with who? I'm like, well, with these guys and the right. shoe truck and stuff. And if I knew beforehand, I might have packed for it. But right. if not, I might have went straight from <laughs> South Park National on, like, right. you know, a moment's notice. Because Timmy was on that trip, and Timmy blew his knee out. So he was going to stay back east and get surgery and, and heal up from that. So that was my first trip to California, which that's a whole other story, that whole trip. But, um... After that, I was going to go out to California that winter, the following winter, for a couple months because um, I wasn't going to school at the time. I had a job, and it's like, hey, I want to go out there for a little bit. You mm-hmm. know? And Timmy was healed up from his knee thing, so he was going to move back out to California. And um, just coincidentally, at that time, that's when I got asked to, to have the, the snap job. So I remember Timmy and I were like planning this trip of like going out to California. I was like... I was like, hey, man, uh, I'm moving out. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, I'm moving. I got the job at Snap. And right. I was like, no way. And so we ended up like that winter, we drove from the Christmas Classic. Uh, we went down to Atlanta, Georgia. I don't know if you know Steve Norton. I remember him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We spent New Year's in Atlanta with him. And then we drove cross country to California. And that's uh, January 96 is when I moved out. Where did you live first? Um- Okay, we just took a little break there. So, Keith, we're just talking about um, moving to California, right? Yep. Um, so, when I first came out to California, I lived with Tim Strelecki and his sister, Jen. Um, they had a small two-bedroom apartment in Costa Mesa, and uh, I was on the futon. And <laughs> the office for Ride and Snap was in Burbank, which was, you know, 45 minutes an hour north of Costa Mesa. And... I guess at first I was going to try to get a place by the office. And when I, I went looking around with Brad McDonald, um, he kind of helped me out. Like we looked around in the apartments and I was just like, oh, I don't want to be up here at all. You know, it just was not, there's nothing appealing about Burbank and, you know, being a mile away from the office. Down in Costa Mesa, Huntington Beach, you had everybody. You had Sheep Hills, you had um, just the biggest scene and it's like, I want to be around everyone I know and around the trails and just everything down there. I'll deal with the commute. So um, I lived in their apartment with them um, for nine months. And then we all decided to get a, a house together. So, you know, it took a while to find a place. Um, you know, it's like I think Jen and I were the ones who went around and, you know, got applications and stuff. And they're just looking at these kids in their 20s like trying to rent a house and they're like no <laughs> but um you know we got a place and it was um Tim Shalecki Jen 
myself and Brian Foster moved in and Jen and Brian were dating. They'd been dating for years. Um, so that was, I didn't think of it at, a, at the time, but that was like a big move. Like they were moving in together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but we got this place in Huntington and it was awesome. We had a, we had a house, um, I think four bedrooms. Um, and it was cool. And, uh, I lived in that house for five years. Um, and throughout that time, like, you know, Brian and Jen moved out because Brian bought a house. Um, after a while, Timmy moved out. Different people kind of came and went. Um, but yeah, I was there for five years. So how was those first, yeah, the, the, the start of Snap being on the West Coast then? So how did, was it, was it a real plan or? Um, I mean, a plan for me or a plan for the magazine? Like the magazine, you know, because obviously um, yeah, well, it's think, all new. You know, like Brad, Brad McDonald started Ride and the early issues of Ride had some racing in it. But Brad was a freestyle guy, you know, and um, I think... He didn't want racing in the magazine, and he knew that there was money in the race side of the industry. Um, so the logical thing was, let's have a freestyle magazine, let's start a race magazine. And um, that was that was his plan. So he did that. Steve Bundeck was the first editor of Snap. And um, after I took over, I moved out west. Brad started um, BMX Business News, which was a bike industry, BMX industry trade paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brad's kind of building his business, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Brad's a business guy. He's a magazine guy. He used to shoot photos for Go. Um, went to school for business. So, um, you know, Brad had his plan of making magazines. Now, did you, was you doing any kind of school or like catching up on learning all this at the same time or just kind of? I, um, when I was in New York, I, I wanted to do photography and, um, I went to community college for, I think three years and took, you know, I think we had two photography classes there. It was just darkroom type stuff. But, um, I took all liberal arts classes. I, did a lot of art classes um, and then whatever basics you know I needed to do and I think my plan was to maybe go um, to school in New York City like school of visual arts or something um, you know photography based and um, that was kind of my plan and I got a job working at Service Cycle um, which was a distributor that owned Mongoose bikes and they had their main office was in uh, Long Island and my friend Rob Hughes worked there doing sales, and they needed some help in the warehouse. So I remember, like, I I graduated, um, I graduated from college, got my two year degree, and I remember, like, I was like, this is amazing. I don't have a job. <laughs> I don't have to go to school. I can ride my bike every day. And after like a couple of days of that, my dad's like, uh, you're getting a job or you're paying rent or moving out. And I was like, Oh man. So I talked to my friend Rob and he's like, let me see if there's anything at my, you know, my job. So, um, I got hired on it at service cycle to just clean up the warehouse for a couple of days. It was just a big messy warehouse of paperwork and they had the whole warranty department for Mongoose bikes was there. So there's like parts everywhere. Um, they had a few companies, but they would do, um, if you went to like, let's say a Target or a Toys R Us, all the bike stuff that you'd find at those types of places, they did that stuff. Mm -hmm. So they had the shitty elbow pads and helmets and bike pumps and tubes, you know, under names like Advent and Cycle Products and stuff like that. But they own Mongoose. 
Um, so I ended up working there and I got a position. I took over doing the warehouse, all the warehouse job stuff. They fired the other guy that, that worked there. Um, so I worked there for a few years. And in between that, um, that's kind of when I stopped going to school. And then I was going to go back to school, but then I was going to go to California for a couple months. And then I got the job. So school in the city never happened. But, you know, I did go to school for three years and, right. and kind of work. work yeah. The job. So first issue, what was, uh, tell us about that, working on the first one. and The first you. issue of Snap was like, no idea what you're doing. It's like, <laughs> okay, I get, you know, I get this job come out, move out to California, and it's like, all right, what are you doing, and right. what are you going to do in the magazine? It's like, I don't even know how to make a magazine, you know? And I, I feel like I was kind of just thrust into this position without, like, any prep. There's no real guidance, then. There was no guidance. There yeah. was no, like, there's no guidebook on, on how to make a magazine. You didn't, like, cold gawk or anybody, or? No. Um, oh. You know, it was kind of like, okay, well, you know, instantly I'm in California, so you have people that are there but you also didn't know what you had to work with and all of a sudden it's like all right i have a lot to do in a short amount of time like what what can i do what should i do you know and um i remember that first issue phoenix aba race was in there um i ended up doing like a couple page interview with harry leary i think because i dirt works one yeah, yeah, like I, I found out like, well, he still rides and, yeah. you know, like he's an old school dude that that's pretty cool. Like he's still in the mix, you know, and I'll shoot photos of Harry Leary, you know, yeah, yeah. and um, I forget what else was in that issue. But also like Steve Bundek, he still did stuff for the magazine. So right. he would send some stuff from the East Coast and it was just kind of a mix of different things happening. Um the cover for the first issue was from Phoenix, and it was um, Mike King snapping out of the gate. And you shot that? I shot that photo. It was the, the first cover I shot. It was the first issue that I did. Yeah. And I remember, I remember thinking, like, this magazine is called Snap. Why has there not been, like, a, a gate, gate shot photo, yeah. like, as a cover? Like, that's, that's what Snap is, you know? Mm-hmm. Darren Mitchell came up with that name, actually. Oh, he did? Yeah. Um, he, he suggested that to Brad. Oh, wow, but, that's cool. Um, I didn't know that. So, yeah, and it just, like, Phoenix, amazing, like, sunsets at Phoenix, um, clear skies, and we shot photos of the gates of the pros, like, kind of not at sunset, right when it was starting to get dark, and um, just got some awesome, awesome photos. And, uh, you know, that was the first cover. And I'd have to flip through. I don't really remember what else is in that issue. How was it to to see your first cover of the magazine then when you got it? I mean, well, that must have been pretty... It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... And do you get to choose that picture as well, or does... Yeah, like, mm. you know, it, it, it's so weird because it's... You come out here and we're in this tiny office. It's Brad, me, and this guy, Chris Hargrave, who is the ride editor. Mm-hmm. And you shoot photos and you get them back and it's like you just look through them and it's like, oh, this one's, this one's great or this one's a little off and... Um, you know, it was just the best photo was the one. Didn't mm-hmm. matter that didn't matter who it was. It was just that was the best out of that group. But um, that's what I wanted. I wanted a gate star photo. Yeah, and I felt like that was. I don't know. I don't want to get deep into it, but it was a new start. Like mm-hmm. I was the editor. It was a new, fresh kind of yeah, start yeah. The magazine. Put your mark on it a little bit. So you know, gate start, new start. I don't know. But um, it was cool. I mean. 
seeing seeing any photo printed in a magazine was like such a cool feeling and then to have like a cover I was like no way yeah you know and so moving forward then would you like be like I don't know James talked about it on his podcast like sometimes you know to make deadlines and stuff and working through the night and mm -hmm. was it always like that for you or maybe at the start or it was always like that because um, at the time all your friends are all pros and racing so everyone's on kind of chill zone and you're yeah probably tough for you on that one too right um, you know I think from the first issue to the last issue that I worked on, it's like, that's how it goes. Um, you know, the workload, there are times where I would travel for three weeks out of the month and then you have a week to put it all together. Um, you know, the traveling was going to races, doing a road trip, shooting the photos for everything. And then it's like, all right, I'm not traveling this week of deadline. And that's when you're like writing everything and picking the photos and putting everything together. And, um, the first, the first few issues were, were definitely like the hardest. It's mm -hmm. like, really didn't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no, you know, you weren't walked through it or, okay, here's how you do it. And it's like, I didn't even know the deadlines. It's like, right. you know, it's like, well, it's supposed to be this day. Yeah. You know? And there was no schedule. There was no like real structure to it. So it was kind of a mess. And I remember getting like, getting in trouble with Brad. Like, you know, he'd be pissed because something wasn't done. And... I was always the type of person that, um, with homework, it was the last minute. Right. You know? Like I procrastinated, um, and to me, like I'm not a good writer, and writing is such a big part of being the editor and making the magazine. Mm -hmm. So I struggled with it mm -hmm. always. So, you know, it's like the the eleventh hour. That's when I'm writing stuff. And yeah. So, you know, and it, it became routine where. I would write everything like the last week before deadline and it would be middle of the night all the time. Um, you know, two in the morning, three in the morning, dead silent, no distractions. That's when I could start writing and things would start to flow. Yeah. But if there was one distraction or, you know, other stuff going on, I, I couldn't focus. And um, there was just issues where there was so much workload. Like James really didn't, didn't have to deal with that as much as I did. Um, but there were certain issues like buyer's guides where it's like this enormous, Tedious, yeah. enormous, um, amount of information and photos that have to be put together and you're dealing with companies that don't get back to you right away. Um, so there's stuff that's like last minute and you give people two months time, they're sending photos past the deadline of their new STEM or, or whatever it is. And it's like, mm -hmm. it, you know, it just, it's always the very end. Everything comes together at the end. Um, so we had some really late, um, late nights, all nighters, like working on issues like that for sure, where, you know, it was more at the office, spend the night there. But for me personally, it's like every deadline there was, you know, countless days where I didn't sleep at home writing, you know, just nonstop. What were, uh, <clears throat> some of the guys you really like to work with and shoot and be around who was some of those guys? Um, I think anyone who was good at jumping was fun to shoot with. Um, if they weren't good at jumping, then <laughs> it was fun to try to get creative with them. Right. Um, and it's like, I'm not, you know, I don't, I didn't dislike working with anyone. It was more of like, okay, what's the challenge here? Mm -hmm. You know, is the challenge like capturing this trick as good as they do it? Or is the challenge making this guy's riding look a little better at the trails than what it 
it is. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and that's where like photography kind of comes into play of getting creative with a fisheye lens or with lighting or sunsets. Um, I mean, definitely Brian Foster was was one of my favorites to shoot with. I mean, he was so good, so stylish. He could do tricks, um, or he'd look great on a track, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I have so many, so many people that were like awesome to shoot with and fun. Um, I mean, even like we shot photos, you know, at Sheep Hills and it's like, we got great photos. You're not, you're not like a trick guy. You're you're a double A racer, but you have your style and we can make stuff look really cool. I do. One thing I wish you'd have told me, Keith, and I've said this numerous times, if I'd have known there was going to be a thing called Flashback Thursday, you know, 20 years later, I really would have paid more attention to it because I wore sunglasses a lot. And <laughs> that cover shot, you know, we did we did a cover, cover of me. On um, Nerve. On Nerve. And pull was, it out. Right yeah, yeah. I, and I, I really don't post it around too much. I post a lot of my old stuff, but I don't post that, even though it's one of the biggest uh, things for me, you know, one of my few covers. But I've got sunglasses on, you know. So grab a few of those, Keith. Maybe we'll talk about some of the... Yeah. Some well, of the you, issues. You probably got paid to have those sunglasses on, right? I did, but it wasn't that much, you know. So <laughs> now looking back, I would, I would, you know, I would, uh, I would give any money back to to have that same thing, but without those stupid things on, you know. <laughs> have a redo on that. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so Keith's just uh, climbed up his huge uh, ladder with all his magazines and uh, just pulling out some of his snaps now. So maybe we'll we'll uh, we'll go through some of these. Um, some of these issues. I'm going to grab a few here. Who was there ever a pro Keith that like you'd call up for a shoot and you like and he'd be like, no, don't want to do it. Um, I don't think so because if they were a pro, they had sponsors and you know it's like who wouldn't want to be in the magazine and who wouldn't want to keep their sponsors happy. Right. Um. So I don't really remember. Um. Anyone saying no? There's a cover. There's my cover. I think, you know, I've got the Cully pedals on here. Uh, Cully had a, a signature. The Kruppi or? No, uh, Atomic. I think it's Atomic. 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 But I remember the little little contingency there with Cully. That's cool. Yeah. But yeah, the sunglasses yeah, just kill it for Cully me. That was a 19 well, inch top tube nerve, I think. <laughs> let's see who's on your plate. You got ODI, Troy Lee, it's a UGP plate. Headlock. Vic, Slick Vic, he, he would have given me a hundred bucks or something for that. That looks like an Oakley sticker. Yeah, yeah. So you're probably sponsored by Oakley. Power, yeah. uh, Power Profile, bar. Power Bar, Nerve, Voxum, and Airwalk. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really bummed. Anyway, we don't need to talk <laughs> about my cover anymore, but I'm still very proud of that, Keith, and I appreciate all the pictures I got from you. Well, shit, I, uh. you ever see my cover? Yes, the, the Cyclecraft one, right? Yeah. Is that South Park, the big BMX, double, right? BMX Plus. Uh, yeah. From South Park. Who's the Kavashi guy on that cover? Ryan Dodd. Ryan Dodd. And then, <laughs> show Phil Deneau. Okay, that's it. Um, and I bumped into him, um, is that early, last year or earlier this year? I have seen that guy on the East Coast. The funniest so he's still thing, around. Like, yeah, he's still around. Yeah. I've seen some stuff on uh, Facebook of him riding. Um, yeah, this, this cover is funny. I think I that's it. that's like, a, yeah no that's the cyclecraft <laughs> uniform that I I really loved you know and I think that's probably the first uh, yeah was that's ninety two ninety ninety two yeah November yeah. ninety two 
John Paul always posts his photo and does hashtag never forget. And I don't really know what his joke is, but uh, I think it right. has to do with me and Chill Phil being mirror images of each other. Right. That, for me, that would be <laughs> awesome. Though. That, that, I don't know if that's a mediocre jump for you, but I would claim that one for oh, me. Oh, I mean, that, yeah. that year, that track, yeah. like, that was the big triple step uh-huh. that, like, there were guys that would be winning races and they'd lock up their brakes and, and not jump it. Right. You know? And, um, like, Oh, so. I'm, I'm, I mean, that's a, to me, that's a, I'm, a, I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, absolutely. Regardless yeah. Regardless of, you know, all the other stuff going on in that cover, like, that's a time, you know. And well, for it. me now, looking back, you know, I live with Neil Woods, as you know, <clears throat> and, and obviously, you know, he's on the cover here, Robbie Miranda lived next door, and I, I know you guys used to shoot a lot, and I know how much they put into that you know it was a big deal for me it felt like it more oh it's a job i should be doing sprints you know and 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 i was just full race ahead but now i really wish i'd have paid yeah more attention to to doing that but like i say at the same time and we'll talk about that i know it's one of the questions you really gave everybody a fair shake you know i mean you Mm -hmm. use covers with you know townsend nelson um, we'll grab some more of these yeah. here. The, Jamie Staff, you know Jason Donnell. I mean, everybody. You, know, you could look at all across the spectrum. At least on the race side, yeah. You really gave everybody. Um, you know, Allier must have been. All his photos look so good. You know, um, you know, and like kind of looking through. Here's that first issue. Okay, that's it. Yeah. Looking through these issues, you know, I'll I'll be able to kind of remember a few things. But um, you know, asking about who my favorites were to shoot with, it's like. You know, Fuzzy was always, uh-huh. you know, one of my favorite. Um, was that, uh, Emery. Okay, I bumped into him a while ago as well, yeah, Riverside, yeah. Set um, around. You know, Fuzzy was one of my favorites to shoot with because he's just, you know, he's a legend in dirt jumping who could do anything and make it look awesome, you know? Um, a good race race cover. That's you know, the one, like, your Reynolds was always good as well. Yeah. Hi, Akin Reynolds cover from Christmas Classic. Um, you know, and there's some funny ones out there that, like, um, you know, like I just picked up a picked up an issue that I remember is kind of a cover story here. Let me see something real quick. Jamie Stafford in a toboggan. To... I remember it's this one. Wait, you know, sometimes cover. it's like you you pick the photo for the cover and you're like eh, that probably shouldn't have been it oh and there's, there's other pictures in the issue yeah like I remember sometimes it's like you you know you, you shoot let's say a bike test or a race and it's like you need those photos to go in that issue mm-hmm. for the article and then it's like well what are we going to use for the cover and if you pick the photo from the article then you got nothing for the article understand so, yeah you know, sometimes you're you're really struggling to pick what photo should be the cover, and other times it's it's instant. It's like you you get a roll of film back, and you're like, that's it right there. You know, um, and there was there was definitely some difficult ones, and then there was ones that were like a no brainer. You know, well, just this is I'm going to say it now before I forget this one of Gary Ellis. Did you shoot the whole? I think there was a yeah. center page as well, right? Because that was pretty. Nobody really seen Gary do anything, and then he did the. Yeah, so Gary won Nora Cup. Yeah. Right? And um, we, um, so I'm going to go up to to Washington to do an interview with Gary. And it's like Gary, to me, 
he was quiet at the races, mm-hmm. and maybe I wasn't I wasn't hanging out at the GT pits or, or whatever. But that one, I'd go to shoot photos. Yeah, I'd go to shoot photos with Gary, and it's like this amazing personality is there. Where uh-huh. I was going to shoot a photo with him and, and the cup that he won. Uh-huh. And we're at the GT test track that they had behind the, yes. the office, and he's like, "I don't want to do anything stupid." He's like, "Let's do something cool," you know, and he's like. Let me let me yell into the camera holding the cup and he's like getting all aggro and it's like this is awesome you know right. and um so I go up to Washington to do an interview with him whoops oh, just knocked the phone over all right we're good we're still good and uh he's got you know a couple Harleys in the garage and it's like dude let me shoot photos of you on your Harley he's like all right so you know I did that and then he's like I want to do some jumping stuff at the trails so it's like shit yeah let's go. You know, and I think one one spot was called like Alien Trails or something. And he's like, "I'm gonna try a suicide no hander." And I don't think he'd ever done one. Oh wow! And he just did it. You know, <laughs> and like the the local kids there, you have up in that scene, you had a lot of trails, but you had good racers too. And like some of the race guys were there, and you had some trail guys, and they were like stoked. It's like Gary Ellis is at our trails yes. with a motorcycle helmet on. Doing suicide no handers, right? You know, and like people still bring up those photos to this day, you know, of like, remember that photo of Ellis like wearing the the biker helmet doing a no hander? Oh, and you still see it on Facebook. Now that's another question, and I'm guilty of doing it as well, Keith. Do you get like I don't know whether it's mad, but when you see people copy and paste your pictures and throw them all over social media, um, you know, I would get more mad if it was back in the the physical film days and something got used and you didn't maybe didn't get paid for it right these days it's like you know it's just what society is it's like yeah copy paste share whatever and mm. it's it's cool um there's a couple of accounts that are weird to me that it's like they never they never give credit mm-hmm. you know it's like you know some some instagram accounts like all they do is post old stuff mm-hmm. with you know very bland info on it and it's like mm-hmm. what's the point of that yeah 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 um, but no I don't mind if people like share photos and stuff um, right it's cool you know what um, what are some of your favorite issues Keith um <clears throat> I think some of my favorite ones like snap wise were the road trip issues that I did mm-hmm. um you know, we did a big Northeast Trails trip one, and we did a big Northwest one um, where I filled the van with, you know, a bunch of guys and two weeks on the road. That was kind of when the magazine had a lot of dirt jumping in it. And, um, you know, it was like there was less money in BMX. You know, it was starting to kind of fizzle out as far as the money. Um, we started putting more dirt jumping in because that was pretty popular. Um, so I would do these, like, trips where we go to you know i don't know how many trail spots in two weeks but i'd have guys like alan foster on the trip you know um or tim strelecki um which was cool it's like hey we're riding jerry bagley's trails in massachusetts but alan foster's there right yeah yeah. he was maybe on for like half the trip Mm -hmm. like someone else would come in Mm -hmm. um you know one of the trips we did like josh stricker was on it and it's like we did a bike test in the middle of the trip at some trails, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like he snuck away with me in the morning, 
put the uniform on. <laughs> we shot some photos and did a bike bike test, and that was like you know within that issue, right? Um, but those road trip articles were like really really fun. Um, I think there's probably something in every issue that was cool. And then other stuff, it's like you're gonna have a couple of races in each issue. You're gonna have some bike tests. Um, you're gonna have an interview or multiple interviews. Um, so it's tough. I can probably look through each issue and find some cool stuff. You know? Have you got an absolute favorite? I guess we'll do it for Snap first. <clears throat> like cover? Yeah. Um, I think the first cover. First one. The the Mike King one. To me, like the colors are awesome. Mm-hmm. We used like a silver logo, which wasn't very normal right um you know just the uniforms like back then the uniform the only thing i don't like about this <laughs> and looking at it he's got clips on no is that mike king has like a carbon fiber full face helmet on oh and that's before and then anybody else you look next to him and you have danny nelson with his parallel uniform on he's got like this awesome custom painted helmet with like you know yellow and orange flames and it's open face you see like the aggression mm-hmm. in his face you got Greg Romero behind him with, you know, the Robinson uniform and just that helmet kind of kills it for me. On yeah. But otherwise... And, he's, and he's, he's the only guy clipped in then, so that must have been about 95, right? Yeah, it's 96. 96. So yeah, still only um, really... But that GT uniform is awesome. The yellow mm-hmm. and the blue, you know, all the uniforms back then were... Um, he had a blue bike as well. I like blue. that. He had the blue, um, yeah. the blue box series at the time you as know, well. So I love, I love this photo. I love the colors mm-hmm. um, and just the... Uh, the action you know it's like mm-hmm. this is the crucial part of a race you know the start and it's like you know Danny's kind of maybe a little bit ahead of him yeah you know it's like but the snap is on point you know yeah there's probably a couple guys that like you know I'm I'm literally like six inches away from them doing doing their start in lane one in, 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 lane, lane, right. in lane one yeah and it, I'm sure it messed up with a, right. a bunch of guys and I think I even like remember asking because I've done this photo you know, different races and different times. Yeah. Asking them, like, hey, you cool with me here? You know, and they're like, yeah. Um, but, you know, who knows? It could have been... Um, it's when it's the local newspaper about a guy or something where yeah. you got to be worried about. Obviously, you get it, you know? But this could have been John Purse, and he probably blew right. that start, so right. he didn't get the cover. You're right, you know? right, right, right. Like, yeah. he, he was late, you know? So, yeah, uh, well, if you get the cover, I think it's worth it. You've got a bad <laughs> gate, you know? Yeah. It's uh, uh, sweet. But, yeah, that's one of my favorite covers. I mean, there's... There's lots of good ones, you know. Um, sometimes it's just colors, like you know. There's this is a really cool dirt jumping photo of Josh Stricker, and we use like yellow on the sides, but he's got a yellow jersey and he's doing a totally crank 360 turn down. So like that looks cool. Mm-hmm. Um, fuzzy ones are always fun. Um, another fuzzy one. Reynolds. <laughs> That's a guy I like that one oh, as well. Here's a whole nother like, oh, batch of early snaps. Van der Veen. Van der Veen. Rest in peace. Sanchez. Sanchez, that's a good one. Paul Bailey. Paul Bailey. These were cool. Like, this is... Arlana. Okay, this is kind of an example of, like, someone who didn't really have any jumping skills, but I can get a good photo of them at the track. Right. You know? It's like, this is Sam Arlano going over a foot-high roller... And I'm inches away from him, but, like, to me, that photo's rad. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, something similar. I did a similar one with Alan Foster. Like that That was... And Alan could jump, but we just ended up, you know... Who had, so, do you know who had the most covers? Was it, like, Miranda, maybe? Neil? Mm. Two or three? 
Oh, it's the Gary Ellis. Uh, I think this is the Gary Ellis with on the Harley. I mean, I, I, it could have been like like Stricker got a couple for doing bike tests. Fuzzy got a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Neil got that many. Um, this we, is a great race cover. Like I love this one. Okay, is that the Paul Camp? Abadessa, uh, Abadessa, Danny, Stumpy, Stumpy in, in the background. Back. That's Christmas Some classic. GT back there. Um, this one was fun with Neil jumping through fire. Okay. <clears throat> um, so many good ones. So this this one I remember. This is funny. Like kind of everything's got a story, right? Right. So, yeah, the Big Mac. Um, Robert McPherson cover. Like I remember, we put this issue together and we didn't have a cover. And you know, you go through the you go through your photos from a race and. You pick out the best photos, and then the guys who kind of won got mm-hmm. in the, the article. This photo of Robert got filed away. Like, the race photos were picked and done, and he wasn't getting in with that photo. Right. That got filed away, and it's like, gets to the point where, like, we need a cover photo. Right. It's like, all right, well, let me look through the photos again. And then, like, found that one, and just the colors were cool, and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's obviously like a top dude, and it's like, well, how about this one? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and you Mac. always, I know you asked James this. You you always felt like your cover was because Nerve was advertising. Right. I think I asked you that. What I think <clears throat> I, 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 I once you hear when we're drunk at the bike show, I think I always ask you. Well, I, I think <laughs> you like you said it one time like it was fact, and I was like, no, that's not that's right. not it at all. And um, you know, it's like at the time, like every company advertised. So yeah. it's not like, well, we're advertising, so, you know, we're getting a cover. It's not like the ABA paper or something. Right. But, um, you know, it's like when She Pills is a couple couple miles away and there's 20 of the top double A's that ride there every day. Right. It's like, that's who you have to work with. Yeah. And you're a top dude. You're there. You hadn't, have a co- hadn't had a cover. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, let me shoot it down and see what I get. You know? Yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't like a nerve... Right, money deal. You know, yeah. I, I think a lot of people well, think I that. that. Um, I think that's how it was run with with BMX Plus and with the ABA paper. Um, it's like a pay to play type of thing. But right, I I like to think that I kept it. Pretty, yeah, and, and we're pretty go- honest and open of like hey, best photos and different people and. And one of the questions, and we'll get into questions a little bit, is one of the guys who said that just how you gave everybody a fair shake. You know, I think across the board, and you really did. I mean, it's mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, you can just see just from these covers alone, without diving into the magazines, how you know you've covered the whole spectrum. <laughs> I think on the on the race side and amateurs as well. You know, let's say Paul Bailey, he, mm-hmm. he wasn't even a pro, but he was a very good amateur and yeah, obviously a good. Good jumper as well, you know. Um, and just, I'm just looking at this picture here. Is that the tacos. guy? Is that the guy that's on Instagram now? There's, um, there's one guy from. No, tacos would always. Okay, I remember Taco. Yeah, yeah, like the ABA Grand. Okay, yes, like yes, I do know this guy. Yes, Crow Trails. That tra- yeah. those trails are still going in Japan. Really? Um, but yeah, one of the that one dude, um, he rides there. Okay, um, I see him on Instagram. Like yeah, I see. I, I watch him. He still looks like he rides really good, you know. Did you go to that race in Japan? I didn't. No, I, I went to Japan, but later on, uh, you know. Like a group photo okay, that's. Uh, uh, somebody's talked about this yeah. trip in their podcast. Uh, might have been Hayden, I think, talked about it. But uh, <clears throat> no, absolutely. Um, yeah, the shots. Just every every single page is just. Um, yeah, you, you, 
you gave, like I say, you gave everybody a fair shake, but I mean, you did the sport as well. I mean, could you even do this? Just say magazines came back in now and the current, mm-hmm. and that's, that's one of my questions, you know, the current um, look of BMX racing. What, what's your view on it, Keith? Um, I hate it. I, I don't like the look of it whatsoever. Um, it's nothing or nobody stands out to me. Right. And I, I honestly, I don't pay attention to racing now. Right. Um, so maybe I'm off, but the uniforms with the full face helmets, um, and just the way they're done, everybody looks the same to me. Yeah. Where I grew up in the eighties racing and each brand had their look, uh-huh. you know, and it's like Hutch was red and white with the stars and Diamondback was black and silver. Mm-hmm. GT was blue and yellow. Um, you know, and it's like there's no mistaking who is who and what companies were what. Mm-hmm. And then it's just kind of all now it blends together to me. Yeah. No. You know, so visually, I don't like the way uniforms and, mm-hmm. and look. Yeah, I understand. So. Um, looking more at Snap before we move on a little bit more. Let's maybe, should we, uh, let's have a quick little break here. Yep. All right, we're back. So um, we're just flipping through some magazines. Um, Nora Cup, Keith. Tell mm-hmm. us, uh, I mean, you were saying earlier, you literally bought that back, right? Yeah. Um, Brad and I were driving back from a race um, a couple hours north in California, and he had mentioned that he wanted to do, like, an awards thing, um, like Nora Cup. And... I was like, oh, that, that's awesome. And as we're like driving and kind of talking about it, I was like, what if we just brought Norca back? Like, can we do that? You know, and he's like, I don't see why we can't. You know, like the magazine was long, long gone, you know, BMX action. And um, I was like, let's bring that back. Like, instead of coming up with a new name or something. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. And um, the first few years of it was with Snap and... Gary Ellis won the first year. Um, and that's when it was in the hotel at a race or something? Wasn't yeah. it? Like Del Mar was race, was it? During a, like a fall ABA race. Yeah. And the first one we did in like a conference room. I remember a, that. hotel. And I think we had some like catered food and right. we had like a, kind of like a cake all that the had du- like Nora Cup And all the double A's were there with gallons of water yeah, to his race was, weekend. It was very stiff. <laughs> um, you know, and it was, uh, you know, it was cool that we did it and we actually got a motorcycle, like a dirt bike, as like a prize. I don't know how we traded, probably traded a full page ad for it. Uh-huh. So Gary Ellis, like, he won Nora Cup, you know, the first the first year that we did with Snap and brought it back. Won a dirt bike. Um, and it's funny because those, I think when we put it in the magazine, maybe we didn't make it clear enough, but people were very confused on like what it was. And I think in the very first issue that we like did the voting for it when we were bringing it back, I listed all the winners in the past through like BMX Action. So you had like, I don't know if it was Bobby and Encinas or, you know, Greg Hill or whatever. And I think people thought that they were supposed to pick a name off of that list because oh. we got votes for like <laughs> Greg Hill or right. been retired know, the most ten, random yeah. guys that, that, you know, were fully retired. Yeah. And um, I was like, oh, fuck, they like, they, they don't <laughs> get it. But there's also like, 
I remember like GT would get a box of magazines. I don't know. This is good because you always had these yeah. stories. So I I remember like they would get a they would probably get a couple of boxes of magazines. I remember Brian Gass coming to the office with um, this might not have been the first year, but you know within the first couple of years, and he basically handed me a stack of over a hundred ballots mm-hmm. that. Everyone at GT filled out. Right, yeah. And it was like, <laughs> you know, you look through every one of them and it's like Gary Ellis, Gary Ellis, Gary Ellis, or, you know, whoever it was. Right. And um, I just took that whole stack and threw it in the trash. Oh, you did, did you? Yeah. Okay. I was like, no, yeah. you know, like, this is not how this is. Right. You know, like, yeah. Yeah, of course, GT gets a couple of boxes of magazines, but that ain't cool. Like, right. that's not yeah. what this award is. This is the readers picking mm-hmm. their favorite racer, you mm-hmm. know? And um, there's no way I was going to let those those be counted. Right. Um, and I never, you know, I didn't tell GT that. I didn't tell Brian Gass that I threw him away. But, right. um, he probably would have been pissed and pulled his abs out or something. Right, you know? yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, but I'd hear stories, like Magoo would tell a story of, like, the BMX Action Days where... Bob Osborne would call up Mongoose and say, hey, I got a few boxes of this issue we're trying to blow out. Just happens to be the one of the Nora Cup ballot, uh, you know? And it's right. like he's... Yeah. And of course, Mongoose is like, we'll take them. Yeah. You know? So I think that it maybe was like that back then, mm-hmm. which is kind of sad when you're like... Mm-hmm. When you're a kid looking at this stuff, you yeah, don't know the real. backstory of like, oh, was this real or was it just an advertiser thing? Mm-hmm. But to me doing the magazine, like... I didn't want to do it that way. You know, I wanted it to be as real as, as possible and legit. And um, so I'd throw away those ballots from GT. Or, you know, if someone's asking for the cover, I didn't go out and try to get it for them unless it was deserved, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, um, did, now, did would Roddy say to you, like, hey, man, do you think you could get me on the cover this there month? There's very few people who ever asked for a cover. Can you and, say who did or not really? Um, I mean, on the race side, I don't think anyone yeah, just asked on the race for side, one. Yeah. No, I don't think anyone did right. in, in racing. On the freestyle side with Ride, there was like one or two. Oh, wow. But, um, you know, to me, they were like, number one, they were go-getters. Mm-hmm. Number two, they had something to offer. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, we would tell him, like, if you got something you think is worthy, like, yeah. sure, we'll try. And he's someone that we would, you know, we would put on no matter what. But it's like... We're not going to give you a cover because you asked for it. Mm. And it's almost like if you ask for it... You're definitely not getting you're it. You're not getting it, you know? Um, as far as, like, companies go... Yeah, maybe companies then, yeah. This one right here. So, um, Redline was probably the worst as far as, like, expecting things. And that was, that was Gork. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Like, I remember they would call... Brad, whether it was Bork or Chuck Cooper, and like, where's the red line cover? Oh, wow. You know, like, when are we getting our cover? And it's like, what do you mean, when are you getting your cover? Right. Like, you don't buy a cover. Yeah. You know? And I think Gork just being from BMX Action. So obviously, yeah, it's kind ADA, of that was his, his culture. The way he ran it, yeah. the way they ran it, it's like, you advertise, you get a cover. Mm-hmm. And um, I think they complained about like, they thought Brian Foster was in the magazine too much. And um, I remember Brad was like, I don't think he's in there enough. Right. Like, he's the people, he's the guy people want to see. Yeah. And he's rad, mm-hmm. you know, like he's not in there enough. Right. You know, like don't, you know. 
So Brad was really awesome about that. Like he, Brad didn't see it the way they did, but Brad is also trying to run a business of a magazine. It's like, so he would tell me like, Hey, I'm not telling you, you need to put John purse on the cover, but if the opportunity arises Mm -hmm. where you get a good photo of them or you can shoot photos with them, then, you know, we should consider putting Mm -hmm. him on. I mean, he's number one. He's, he's a dude. Yeah. But it's like, okay, he's in Texas. I'm out here. We're not shooting photos every weekend, mm-hmm. you know? But um, I did end up going out and shooting photos with John at his yard in Texas, and we put him on the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say that is, you know, influenced from from Redline and Gork. But, man, they were, to me, like, there there's many times where they were they were shitty. Those were little, little cheesy brands that came and went, you know, maybe? Um there weren't really companies like that. Like, there's a few random ones where it's like, oh, how do we get on the cover? And it's like, yeah, you don't, there's no way to get on the Right. Cover. The best photo. You know? Yeah. Um, but there really, to me, there wasn't any other ones, you know? It's, it's, it was more the photo. Yeah. Um, GT, like, they never expected anything, but they had the best dudes, so they mm. got a lot of coverage, you mm-hmm. know? And, um, I really think, like, Redline's the only one that, like, they felt like they were supposed to have it. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, like, made a stink about not having it. Right. Until they got one, you know? Huh. Um, so, so Nora Cop, talk, let's get a little bit more into this. And as yeah. it kind of progressed through through the years and, you know, Neil winning it, I was obviously living with Neil at the time, and then <clears throat> Robbie winning it, obviously being around him as well, and it was huge at the time. Yep. And I'm just talking more of the racist perspective. Um what it did for their careers and, and, and as a whole, you know? Yeah, I think we made it into a big deal. You yeah. Know? And um, after the first year or two of, like, you know, people voting for guys who are retired yeah. and, like, figuring out what it was, <laughs> then it's like, okay, you win. You're getting a big interview in the magazine. Mm-hmm. You're getting good photos and coverage. And that's a thing that, like, companies could tout. You know, we did, like, number one rider, number one bike, number one team. So... You know, that's something like, hey, we're number one. Mm. We're, our guy is number one. Mm-hmm. So they would do, like, DK would do an ad with Neil, two-page spread, holding, mm. holding the cup. Or, um, you know, whoever it was. I think it um, it became what it was with BMX Action, where it was, like, a big deal. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, companies would make stickers, like, number one bike. I, the Nora, UGP you know? did it for all their riders, yeah. Yeah. So it was cool, and, and we made it really fun and cool, like... After that first couple of years of in hotel conference rooms, you know, um, it kind of, it built and built. And I think one year was that like a, a bowling alley or something. And um, that was before we had video, but I would do like slideshows and mm-hmm. like, you know, you'd have like the top 10 dudes. Yeah, the top like, 10 got a little video. You know, yeah. I would do like a slideshow mm-hmm. and, and talk about each guy, you know, mm-hmm. and then it turned into we had video stuff and it moved into Vegas and then it became a, a, a huge deal, mm-hmm. you know, especially for the industry. That. That basically, when we moved, we added Ride into the mix, so there was a freestyle Nora Cup, and we moved it to Vegas, and when that happened, everybody started going to Interbike. Mm-hmm. You know, before that, very few people, pro-wise, would go to Interbike. It's like, if you lived in California, maybe you'd go, but um, that brought everyone to Interbike, and then those parties were insane. With yeah, yeah. people, and you know, it was a big deal. And I mean, I, again, I think that's, say you, you went more freestyle, 
I stuck with the racing, obviously after Snap, but I'd always see you in Vegas and we'd always catch up, you know, as everybody did in, in the, the Hard Rock Ground Bar, and, you know, it was three o'clock in the morning, everyone's drunk, but I remember we'd always have conversations. And, and I think you were one that really still always had uh, kept BMX in, you know, kind of kept BMX racing, yep. um, you know, kept the, the, the flag flying, you know, so. To me, to me, Nora Cup started with racing yeah. and we brought it back with racing. So it, it, should always be in there mm. and um i always said as long as i'm at the magazine racing is going to be in norica um and that's what we did you know there was like one of the last ones i think i went to um a race in florida to to give it away and at that point i don't think anybody gave a shit about right it, yeah know? um it just it wasn't i remember because i'm seeing you at the race i'm like what are you doing here keith yeah like, oh, and it was doing, like yeah. it was you know, it was kind of a... Old small, wasn't it? It was a bit depressing. It's like, mm. all right, I'm here to give away this award that was, like, yeah. monumental for people, and now nobody gives a shit. Right. Because they're more focused on, you know, getting their ABA title or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it kind of... But it kept going for a bit after that, I think. I don't know if that was the last one, but um, there was at least just one year where it got weird, and we didn't do it at Vegas because... Um, Either the winner wasn't wasn't able to go, or just got you know, just got weird. Just two completely separate worlds. Wanted at the end, I think. Yeah, oh, but I I think it was still fun. Um, okay, we're just back after a little break. Um, we're talking about Nora Cup, Keith. Um, so yeah, as it kind of came to an end, it seemed like the racing was dwindling a little bit. Yeah, um, I think the last the last couple years of Nora Cup with me there. Um, there was no there was no racing magazine, so I think it it just kind of lost its um, its importance in the race scene. Um, you know, without a, a magazine really covering racing, other than the sanction paper, um, guys didn't really know what it was or why it was important. So it, it lost its importance. Um, it's funny now because like Ride actually is doing it again, and I think it's just more of like. Hey, we can maybe get a little bit of of race money for our website if we still do this, but right. no one there cares. You know, mm-hmm. I think they're doing it. They're giving it away at the Hall of Fame this year. What, what is it? it Nora Cups this weekend in England, right at Hastings? Yeah, but then they give Hastings. the race one during the, the Nora Cup. They're doing the race one at the Hall of Fame. Okay, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, Nora Cup. Yes, I remember they did that last yeah. year as well. I think. But as long as I was at the magazine, like. We did it. We did it through the magazine, and uh, it was legit, you know. And I, I emailed every pro racer I could, you know. Get well, I remember you. He's always like, "Hey, you guys come in. We want to, you know, invite you guys." And I remember yeah. with Maris, you guys really, you know, put on a good spread for and treated treated them guys cool. I remember when we came, yeah. and there was it was yeah. It was, it was, I mean, to me, it was like it, it should always be there. Mm-hmm. It was, um, you know, that's what Nora Cup was. It's it, it started out with with racing, and you know whether it was. You know, six freestyle awards and one race one. I still want it there. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was funny because the Nor Cup awards in Vegas. It was like such a huge party, and the racers were kind of the the odd men out. But yeah. um, I I think it was still fun. We still got good guys yeah. to give it away. Like mm-hmm. you know, whether it was Brian Lopes or Mike Miranda or Alice, um, Perry Kramer, yeah. Gary Ellis, like. I tried Gary to get, Ellis, like, yeah, had a couple drinks in him, it. I remember, when he did it. Oh, that, that yeah. year was awesome. Yeah. Um, that year, like, Gary did it. Um, Wildman, maybe? 
I always give Wild s- Man, like Stephen Murray, which was like kind of yes, I was his first one. time being after out in front of everyone after his crash, and he was in in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Allen, Crew Jones, right. so like that one was like a crazy fun, good one. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, Gary had some drinks like before the before it <laughs> yeah. started, right. and he went out there and he's just like he's swearing. This that. is fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. BMX rules, you right. know. And he was just like so hyped up, and people loved it. Right? Yeah. I think Gary has this weird like he's a GT guy, which was people hated corporate BMX GT. But they love Gary Ellis. Yes. You know? And it's mm. like, he's the dude with Iron Maiden on his helmet. Right. And, like, he's not your typical California pro. He's in Washington doing his own thing. So right. people love Gary. Yeah. And when he had the opportunity to, like, really show his personality, mm-hmm. it, I, to me, that was, like, you know, the best the best shit. And people people loved it, man. Yeah. They no, were, I... Like, people are, like, you know, getting his autograph and, mm. you know, it's like, mm-hmm. the legit dudes are good in BMX. Like they want Gary's autograph. Yes, no. I mean, he's so, definitely good on his. The, the he had one. been gone for a couple of years at that time, so it's kind of that was cool. Like see him again. Is there anybody? You know, again, this is more on the race side. Um, most of the people listen to mine are more more um, <clears throat> race people. But is there anybody you think didn't win the Nora Cup that should have? Um, I, I always thought that Brian Foster kind of got shafted, um, and got shafted isn't even the right term. It's not like someone chose not to give it to him. He just. Um, it never, never happened for him at the right time. You know, um, he did get it with Schwinn as Schwinn got number one team one year. Mm-hmm. But um, I think there was always someone faster in racing, and it seemed like whoever got it in racing was the guy who got the title that year. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and in dirt jumping, it's like he never got in dirt either. He never did. got in oh, dirt, and yeah. it's like you know, Ryan Nyquist would get it. Right, he's winning all the contests. Mm. Or, you know, like Brian was that dude who was like awesome at everything but wasn't getting titles right like he won x games um but that year like it just never happened for him Mm -hmm. so i always feel like brian deserved one but never got it Mm -hmm. um and it's funny because like in in a few years like people were trying trying to like rally like in the social media years like on instagram it's like bf or you know whoever and it's it it was kind of past its point at that point but he he just never got it um I don't know who else. You know, there was like there was a good mix of guys who got it. Yeah. Um, you know, Ellis, Purse, Neil, Robbie. Um, I don't know. It's usually the guys that were either killing it or, you know, like, you know, maybe guys that had good sponsors that did good advertising for them. Mm-hmm. Um, that were popular riders. Yeah, maybe yeah. Because they also you know rode trails a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was a good mix of guys who got it. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, let's go into, um, let's hit some of these questions, Keith, because yeah. we've got quite a few on Facebook. Um, so I'll kind of breeze through a few of these. Um, Robert Hyde, my buddy, he said, um, how, and we've talked about the worlds in Norway, so it's kind of going back to that. He says, uh, how did you like the event as itself? You know, you raced Dylan Clayton for the first time. We talked about it. You got second behind Dylan. Yep. Uh, did you ever race Dylan again after that? Or... Um, yeah, how was your whole outlook, outlook on that world? Yeah, I don't know if I ever did race Dylan after that. Maybe at like a Christmas race or something, but I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But um, that race was was rad. It's like we go to Norway. I'd never been to a world before. You don't know what to expect. And um, 
such a weird mix of, of racers you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's probably know, a real trip for you because that's the first time you've been to Europe. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like you've got a guy, like I remember we were making fun of guys that had these like, you know, full face helmets with no visor. <laughs> right. Yeah. And they were fast as hell. Right. And you're like, oh shit, like, I don't know who anyone, you can't judge anybody. Right. You know? Like, this guy's from this country and. He's a badass, but he looks like yeah, yeah. You know, he'd get laughed out of the you know out of the track at at a, at a national in the U.S. Right, but um, it was awesome. Like we, to me, that's when we really like met you guys and hung out and like mm-hmm. got to know you guys, like talking in the pits and hanging out. Mm-hmm. Um, the track was rad. Um, it reminded me like our track at Shoreham had this gravelly dirt that we used because you know we'd get like a lot the of weather. Pain. And so the surface was real similar. The jumps were good. It had, like, real good jumps. Yeah. Um, it was a little long, but um, it was fast. The third straight was pedal. Yeah. It was fast. It was fun. And, um, you know, I ended up getting second. And um, Passed uh, Vincent cool. Allier on the last straight. Yeah. So. And... Um, it's he so was a wild dude within Europe, you know. He always wore, I don't know how much you paid attention it's to Thomas's him. brother, right? No, nothing to do with Thomas. It? No, very similar oh, name. told me that was his brother. No, no. Vincent Elliott was kind of a hippie type dude, you know. He had okay. kind of long hair but shaved underneath and he wore, <laughs> he didn't wear shoes a lot of the time, you know. He'd walk around the pits and it was like a hippie. Yeah. You know, he had wild, you know, the French guys always had like wild, you know, wild, but their style was like oxbow, like <clears throat> the pants and the stuff that they wore. At the time, but he never really wore race gear, you know. He just wore these pants, these Oxbow pants, I think they were, and uh, just like a sweatshirt. But uh, and I think he actually might have had a full face helmet and a weird bike, kind of like a monocoque before anybody yeah, had, he had one. Some sort of monocoque. Bike. Yeah. Um, the cool thing is, someone posted a video of, of that mane mm-hmm. um, a few months back, and I don't know if I'd ever seen it. So it's like you have your memories of like what right. went down, and then to like see it this many years later, like that yeah. was ninety one. Um, it's like, oh, that's how that happened, or like that was cool, and um, you know, I feel like I kind of got lucky in that main in one sense, but like I, I pulled gate eight, mm-hmm. and on that track, it's like outside, not where you wanted to be, right? And um, I remember being so bummed I pulled gate eight for the main, but I was like telling myself, it's all or nothing. Like mm-hmm. you're either flipping this gate, mm-hmm. or you're getting out good, right? You know? And um, I got a good start. Dylan was in gate seven next to me. Mm-hmm. And um, definitely a little bit faster on the first straight. And he got over pretty good. I was still on the outside. And I could not stay low on the jump out of the first turn. It that was, was hard, like, though, because he was down and round. And, you know, yeah. you're coming out of this first turn that was, like, slightly downhill, really fast. And it was a pretty tall, like, camel jump mm-hmm. that was short. Yeah. So, like, I couldn't. Definitely couldn't pick up for it, and I just couldn't figure out how to scrub it and stay low. So, like in the video, I land flat ground, <laughs> no backside, right. and like as soon as I land, I'm pedaling. Right. But the next jump was like a maybe a triple. It was weird. It was, it was like, like a, a pickup if you were just Barry McManus. Or yeah. <laughs> so the, the the next jump into the second turn was kind of a long, mm-hmm. um, either a step jump or like a triple, and most people were jumping it, and I think. In the semi, it was like I have to pick up for this. Right. If and I want, not make many this guys main. did that either. So I picked up for it and bump jumped it, uh-huh. and um, it worked. And it was like pretty big to pick up for. Yeah. But, but I still got it, and I bump jumped, and it was fast as hell. And um, 
I think that's probably what helped me get to the main. I don't remember the semi at all, but I remember doing it in the semi and I hadn't done it at all before that. And then in the main, you know, I flat ground the, that second jump and I'm just pedaling and I was like, I'm picking up for this thing. Right. <laughs> and I picked up and bump jumped it and, you know, I was probably going to pass the next two dudes no matter what, mm-hmm. but Justin Green was in that main and he was either in second or third. Right. And he crashed on that jump. Yes. And just as he crashes in the video, you see me like flying by. Right. So I think I would have got him yeah. and the next guy like from the speed that I had there. Mm-hmm. And that put me into third. And then it was like the next straightaway, like two jumps, but like kind of a lot of pedaling yeah, and slightly drive. uphill. Yes. And I just remember like, right. just keep going, keep going. Right. Went into the last turn, took a foot off and um, just just didn't stop till the end and like passed that LEA dude like yeah. right at the line for a second. Um, and no, never had like a chance of battling Dylan in that right. like he was So he was happy for a second. Front. Yeah. I was happy for a second. It wasn't like yeah. wasn't like I lost, you know, um, that main. It was like I won second. Yeah, you know? yeah. Whether you're, you know, second's the first loser, but man, to me, that Did was Did you like, know who Dylan was before the race then? Not really. Like, no. I think we knew when we got there, like, right. oh, this dude is a badass from mm. England. Um, he was kind of like our Ronnie Gasca equivalent. Yeah, like, super yeah. stylish. Absolutely, yeah. Really fast. Um, and uh, so when we got there, it's like, okay, this dude's good. Yeah. You know, this guy we don't know. Um, but yeah, that, that race was awesome. It's like, for some reason, that one stands out to a lot of people who went to multiple worlds or whatever. Mm. as like a pretty No, I still, I still, you know, I've been to a lot of worlds and uh, I, I, definitely would say that's one of the one of the best for atmosphere everyone was kind of you know it's kind of around the track and now it's so spread out with supercross um yeah i i still think that's definitely one of the the better ones um even today and they still race there now that track still yeah i've, I've yeah. actually like looked up photos of it and right. it's like still there yeah they the spend money spot. on there like, and they cool. have the i think there's a big event there uh one of my friends is the coach over there um i think another next year or the year after there's a big european type championships maybe in north it might be even next year anyway but mm-hmm. yeah they, they still have a, a they still race there and i think they still have a european round there every every so every so often um i think the uh the next Going back to talking about Dylan, the next couple of times I saw Dylan would either be at like the Christmas Classic, he mm-hmm. came out, or he was in California for a bit. And at that time, I was doing the magazine stuff. So instead of like racing against them, I was shooting photos. Right. Of him, you know, and like I remember, did like, got a good photo at Sheep Hill. There's a good one, a little two page interview, and it's kind of dark at night. It's Is like that the one? Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah no, I, I totally yeah. recall that one. And um, that was kind of cool. Like, Okay, at one point we raced each other, and now like I'm interviewing you. Yes, and, you know. Well, you're kind of introducing him a lot because, say, Dylan was kind of very. He didn't really come out to the US too much, so a lot of people, unless you went to Europe to race him, didn't really know. Yeah. You know who he was. You know he wasn't really on the on the circuit as a regards to like you know Neil, you know Jamie and myself that's been obviously moved out here and lived. Yeah, um, and he probably could have been one of those dudes that if he moved out to California, like yes. he would have probably done pretty well for a few years yeah but he just chose not to yeah no dylan always liked to um yeah he liked his home life you know and he could make he had a you know he went on to ride for sun and they they, you know he had the first even though dylan was 18 and over me and jamie was was pro dylan was making more money than us with sun you know without even having to races you know so um he had a he had a good deal early on you know when uh, the money started to come around a little bit more again in the mid 90s um, all right, next question here is from uh, Paul Roberts, Grot Bags. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, uh, <laughs> everybody loves Grot Bags, and he, <laughs> Paul loves the podcast. So 
Um, he said, who's your favorite dude to shoot with? He's asked a couple of questions, so that's the first one. Yeah. Um, BF was always someone... You know, I have random people, like Chad DeGroote was always one of my favorite... Like, Flatland, right? Flatland guys yeah. to shoot with. Um, if I was in Florida, we'd like meet up and just like... Chad's a funny dude, awesome to hang out with, but super professional when it came to doing photo shoots. It's like he knew, hey, he's probably not going to get a lot of opportunities being in Florida to get photos. So he'd bring three or four t-shirts mm. and have three or four tricks that like he knew would be great photos. And we'd come away with a, a bunch of good photos that, you know, could be used over time. And um, he's just got such a rad, you know, flatland style of his own. And um, so he was always cool to shoot with. Um, the bike tests that we did in Snap, like um, Tim Strelecki, Scott Yokolek, Chris Breen, Andre Ellison, like those are always super fun. Josh Stricker. Because um, they're all dudes who race, but they're good jumpers. Yeah, well, Andre um, had a cover on horror, right? Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it in the stash, know, had, but I know I've got it in mine. He had a couple of, um, you know, great photos from, from bike tests, like Timmy, Yokolet, like here's a stricker one. Mm-hmm. Um, so those guys were always good. Fuzzy, I always love shooting photos of. Um, Mike Aiken, like guys that, that had style mm-hmm. and could do tricks. Um, you know, those were, those were always fun to me. Um, Neil, Robbie, um, you know, and there's a couple like funny photo, like shoot stories. Like I remember I was doing, um, an interview with Danny Nelson and (laughs) it's like, all right, what are we going to do with Danny? You know? (laughs) And, uh, I kind of remember like kind of walking him through how to do like an X up for a photo. Right. And like we got an X up photo and then. I had to shoot, I think I had to shoot a poster with Robert McPherson. Right. I we went to Sheep Hills and it's like, oh, this is not going to be easy. Right, you know? yeah. And, um, like I literally like showed him how to do a tabletop. Right, yeah, you know? yeah, it's yeah. Because like, you had to take your bike with you to the shoots. Yeah, I remember I mean, you'd always you know, take your bike, yeah. I'd want to ride too. Yeah. And, um, you know, but it's funny, it's like, you know, you can't fault these guys because they're double A pros who, that's all, they're kind of like, um, that's all they know is how to win mm. and that's all they care about. Mm. So for me, it's like, I want, I want the readers to like be into the photos and you know, someone pedaling down a straightaway is not, <laughs> not always, unless it's like a full race shot with a bunch of guys, right. it's not that interesting. So I try to get people a little out of their comfort zone and do right. some jumping and stuff. And, uh, I feel like guys were that ended up with good photos, like, you know, we're, we're happy with that. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. Yeah. But even like I did an interview with Wade Boots and go down to Texas and he's got these awesome track and jumps at his house. And it's like, I got great photos of him doing tabletops and mm. like, you know, he had fun shooting photos and he wasn't just like a first rate power guy. Well, to his know? credit, I think he even did a flip. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, at some point. Yeah, yeah I've seen some pictures of footage. shot a photo of him doing Right. That. I remember when, yeah. when his backyard ranch thing, didn't he, in yep. Texas. Yeah. Um... Lots of guys. I mean, so many guys that were fun to shoot with. Uh, then he talks about some of the guys, East Coast Trail s- style. Who's some of the guys that you... Uh, mm, I mean... Probably your crew, right? Robbie and Yeah, Gasca. I mean, we had such a, a huge trail scene on Long Island. Um, I mean, like dozens of known and great jumping spots. Um, you know, from like guys like Keith Terra, who were a little bit younger, to Robbie... Um, everyone had their own style too. Um, 
But I mean, there's like the Northeast, you have so many other spots like Posh or Push or um, Drexelbrook, like all over the Northeast, there was like awesome trail scenes that had their own guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from guys like Ground Chuck to Punjab in, in Pennsylvania. Um, I see Jason Lonergan still. I, I yeah. follow him on Facebook and the jams, and they're still like heavily. Like Jay is, yeah. has kept Posh running for over 20 years, and like I used to race Jay, you know, when we were like 14 or 15. Yeah. You know? And um, it's so awesome to see that he's still riding and like going to the trails all Dig the time and, and that, keeping yeah. it running. And it's like, man, here's someone I knew when I was like, mm-hmm. you know, 14 years old racing against and like we we can get together you know um now if i if i head back that way and go to posh for a day and Mm -hmm. like get to ride together and it's like man that's 30 something years yeah yeah that's super cool i met jason the first the very first day i came to california he showed me where sheep hills was for a wild man like (laughs) put him on to like help this guy get sheep hills so i always remember that from jason and good to see what he's doing uh still um another question from paul he says, did the work overload over the years dampen your enthusiasm to take photos? And that's kind of the same with Paul. You can see with Paul, it's burnt him out. So Yeah, I mean, the there's definitely, like, burnout times. Um, I never really got burned out on shooting photos because, to me, it was, it was fun. It was creative. Um, sometimes it's difficult, but the writing part is the burnout. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I got to write about, a, you know, whatever it is, a race or... You know, it's like when you go on a races every other weekend, there's, there's no story there every time. You right. Know, it's just like, well, here's who was there. Mm-hmm. They raced. Here's the results. And it's like, you know, I try to do a couple creative things every now and then, and it just didn't work or I didn't enjoy it, you know? Like, you try to be funny or you try to be creative, and it's like, uh, I, those I don't think were, like, that great. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you're in the semi, this guy passed to this guy. In the yeah, it's like, yeah. It's, it's just repetitive. Yeah. So I got burned out on writing stuff for sure, um, but never really on photos. There's probably races I didn't feel like going to, um, just because you're 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 tired, you're overloaded, or you know other guys weren't going to that race and is you know um, not as enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's like going to races. The best part is hanging out with everyone. Yeah. And if you're at a race where your friends aren't there or other guys have moved on, like I remember going to a race in Vegas and I think I knew two people at the right. race, Bob Tedesco <laughs> and like one other weird right. amateur super class dude. Right. And it was like, wow, this sucks. Like yes. none of my friends are here anymore. Mm-hmm. And I just sat in the rental car in between like pro yeah. races and, you know, it was just weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the bummer of I think why a lot of people stop racing they either gotta deal with real life jobs and stuff or other people stop and it's like not fun anymore yeah I know I totally get it Um, and obviously Paul said you know thanks for all the advice and help over the years I know he looks up to you a lot um, you know, yeah. so he was doing kind of doing the same kind of thing with uh, awesome like Paul always did magazine stuff for like Ride UK and Mm -hmm. um, to me he was always like he was that guy who was good at, at racing and, and riding and jumping who mm-hmm. moved into doing media stuff and um no Paul and now he's a collector he's a bike collector <laughs> um all right we've got one another one here from uh Simon Tabron so Simon. uh good friends with Simon he says always got the impression from you in person and in print that you believed in covering every aspect of BMX <clears throat> and being faithful to its um to what it is you know and mm-hmm. uh and regardless of what the current trends and fads are 
um, was that why um, did, did you feel that like that's how it was or did you you know you didn't jump on the latest thing and uh, it said you just did an awesome job and stellar work over the years thanks Simon um, yeah I mean I think to me like being a magazine editor I want to show it how it is and show everything you know and you can't just because like street riding is popular doesn't mean that um, Jamie Bestwick shouldn't get a photo on a vert ramp mm-hmm. or you know this guy doing a flatland trick like nobody cares about it like they might be small parts of BMX like vert or flatland but it's still BMX and it's still what they're doing is insane and progressive in their own world within BMX but why would you not show that just because street's like the biggest thing or dirt jumping it's like it should all be shown and you know it's like without guys like Matt Hoffman on vert or um, Chris Moeller and Fuzzy on dirt like it all gets mixed up Mm -hmm. and there's flatland tricks that are inspired by dirt jumping and there's you know um, vice versa like everything kind of crosses over at some point and there's guys that do everything and there's guys that only do one thing but um, to me if you're doing a freestyle magazine show it all Mm -hmm. you know Um, I don't know if that's how it is now but that's how I like to do it yeah no absolutely like I said earlier I think you really gave everybody a fair shake you know and uh it was always cool, I thought. Uh, Mike Wong, he says, first of all, he wants to give you credit to all your work. He still has every back issue of Snap. Awesome. And he still looks over them uh, two decades later. He says he has a question here, is uh, or three questions. He says, what three things, and it might be a bit, I don't know if you want to answer three, it could be a long one, but uh, it's definitely a good question, Mike. Uh, what three things does Keith think was better about BMX racing in the 90s, you know, the Snap era? Um, and maybe what's things about, uh, three things, what are better about racing right now? So... Um, well, I think I said earlier, I, you know, I guess it's a bummer, but I really don't pay attention to racing now. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just hard to get into it when, I don't know, you're not going to the races, your friends aren't racing anymore. It's just a whole world of people that you don't know. Um, and you know, my life has changed with what I'm doing now. Um, I mean, I love, like, it can be something as simple as like the uniforms decades ago, you know, versus the way they look now not into it um the tracks now i feel like it's just freight train follow the leader and i like people hitting in berms and tough jumps and you know um way more things getting mixed up within a lap Mm -hmm. where to me now it's just they're going so fast and they're not leaving the ground and um there's not really like aggressive passes it's just uh it's not that fun to watch right um and i grew up in like a great time of bmx where it's like early 80s i started racing in 81 you know so you have back then you have the patterson brothers you have harry leary greg hill um Stu thompson and then that transitions into you know the uh the guys of more of the 90s whether it's like john purse or charles townsend Gary Ellis, um, and then even past that, like guys like Maris and um, um, all those guys, it's, I saw good generations of, of racing, you know, um, and I love a lot of the early stuff about it. Um, it's, it's tough to get into it now, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is one of your guys <clears throat> from back east, uh, Tommy Bavona. Yep. I remember seeing him on props with you guys, I think. Bibbs. Right. Um, Bravona was a uh, Long Island local, Shoreham, 
Seven Eleven. Like, I get him. There was a now the, the Diamondback guy from back there. I know it's not him, but I got used to get him mixed up. Who, who was really good at racing? Brian Irochi. Yeah, Irochi. Yeah, yep. right. Yeah. All all like the same scene and same <laughs> yeah. time frame. You know, we had like um, an amazing scene of like people who are great at the track, and then we'd ride the trails every day during the week mm-hmm. in between. You know, either Sunday races or Tuesday night. Um, so a lot of guys were. Good racers and good trail riders, and Bavona was one of those. And he says, what uh, were your favorite trails on Long Island? Um, 7-Eleven trails, um, Steritz, which was also known as Patchogue. Before that, Clinton trails. Um, Clinton was actually in BMX Action a couple times. Um, and then that kind of the next place after that was called Genovese. Or Clinton too. Um, it's funny. Like I just remembered that place, Genovese. Like I remember Gary Ellis and Charles Townsend showing up there one day. You know, and it's like they would go on these summer tours and they'd come ride our trails. Right. You know? And I remember at one point, like you know, hearing like, there was this pro at the trails today, and it's like, well, who was it? And <laughs> he had spin wheels like, on. <laughs> I don't know who it was, but he was like a big dude, and you know, it, it turned out to be Big E. Oh, right. You know, and. Yeah. Biggie's dad lived on Long Island. Hmm. So, you know, whether it was like during a summer tour or he'd go to visit his dad, he would show up at the trails, mm-hmm. you know? And then, like, he probably helped bring out some of the dudes for, like, the, the clinics or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like not every scene gets to have Gary Ellis ride their trails or Charles Townsend or um, wherever else. But we, we were kind of lucky with a few of those things. And, like, that place, Genovese, was one of those spots. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, and he says... How many BMX photos do you currently possess? I mean, do you even know? Um, you know, at one point, I I did a rough count of my file cabinets, like when I was at the office years and years ago, and I have basically file cabinets with folders of slides and negatives. And um, I remember counting out maybe one folder or a drawer and then like, you know, kind of adding it all up. And at that time it was probably close to like half a million slides oh or, my God. or negatives. And that could have been over, you know, 10 years ago. So who knows, probably over a million, you know, and, and with digital photos, it's like, kind of you count. might shoot hundreds for one photo. Right. You know? So whether you delete them or not, like, I've definitely shot, you know, millions of photos. Now, you used to always hear stories, and a few people have said it on podcasts over the years, um, BMX Action dumped all their, I don't know, photos, archives in the in the dumps, uh, dumpsters? Yeah, I had always heard the story of, like, everything got thrown away, and then over the past few years, I've heard other stories. Oh, so it's... And I think, from what I gather, everything was thrown away, but Moeller and Magoo save some stuff Mm -hmm. and I think um, I think some of it got sent to Will at Dig Mm -hmm. um, and other stuff's kind of floating around but a majority of it yeah it got trashed Um, it's funny like I actually I have some original prints like black and white prints that were used in BMX action or freestyling that were given to me Uh and it's it's kind of disappointing I'm I'm not going to say who did it but (laughs) The person who had them kind of cut them up a little bit oh. and like had them on a wall and oh. like cropped them and like, I was like, do you know what you did? Right. You know? But yeah. he gave them to me and I don't know why he gave them to me. I, I would have uh, not given them away. But um, 
I think some stuff exists and a lot of stuff got thrown away. Okay, so my question is for, for Snap. Do you have all the archives? Do you have everything? I have, um, I have everything that I shot for Snap and Transworld BMX. I don't have um, a majority of my ride photos. Those are in, uh, in the office down in, uh, in the Transworld offices. Um, one day I'd like to get it. And I think I will, but um, you know, I kept it really quiet too that I had my Snap and Transworld stuff because mm-hmm. um, I didn't know if I should have it or not. But right. um, we did a uh, we did an office move, and I was like, if there's ever a time, now's the time um, where I can I can get my hands on this stuff without it um, not being accessible. So yeah, yeah, I have a. Oh, have that's my awesome! Snap Hopefully, one day you'll. <clears throat> do something cool I'm sure and share to maybe a lot of the new kids that haven't yeah. seen all this great stuff you know the tough thing is it's like um, there's a lot of stuff and it's really time consuming yes yeah you've always got to be retired even like <laughs> yeah. scan one photo it's right. like man where do you start yeah you know, like, and I would love to do I could literally do you know a dozen photos a day and like never run out of photos right you know um, I got a lot of stuff yeah yeah, no, actually, you literally got to be retired from life, you know, 65, 70, for yeah. those kind of projects, I'm sure, you know. I'll do something at some point, and I don't know what. Um, but yeah, it's funny, like, I was, I, I kept it pretty quiet about having those photos, but I think it's all right now. Um, I don't think anyone's going to come knocking, saying that they're not mine. Um, but Yeah, no, that's awesome. You, you got them, and uh, yeah. yeah, hopefully... Uh, I yeah. felt like after what happened with BMX Action, like... I was like, these have to be preserved. Yes, and yes. There's gonna come a day where I'm not there, or the magazine. Mm-hmm. Like we go into work, and it's like doors are locked on us, and mm-hmm. it's like, nope. You know, magazine's gone, and it's like, man, what happens with all that stuff? Yeah, and I've kind of asked like Jeff Z. You know, I was like, hey, dude, well, like, what's your plan? Like, there's gonna come a day, mm-hmm. you know, and he's like, oh, I don't really have a plan. And it's like, there's. You know, twenty-five years of BMX history, so yeah, file cabinets that's important. that yeah, yeah. has to be kept safe. Yeah, you know, and because um, I think we'd all hate to see that get dumped. And like I say, it's good. It's a lot of it's in your hands on the race side because, like I say, like you hear them stories. Like I say, we just talked about the BMX action. If a lot of that stuff is gone, I mean, you want it with somebody that has passion still for, for yeah. BMX race. You know, which obviously you do. You know, you know, I I, um, I went to some event when Nike did like that freestyling book, and uh, I saw Spike Jones there. And I don't know Spike very well, but I've met him a couple times. And um, actually, the first photo I got riding in a magazine, Spike shot. So oh, like, cool. that was pretty cool. Yeah, especially him being like my favorite photographer. But I um, I saw him at this event, and I asked him. I was like, "Hey, I gotta ask you, like." about the photos being being thrown away at BMX yeah. Action and he's like oh, I don't want to think about it oh, so wow. <laughs> I think a lot of his stuff yeah. was gone and wow. you know that's like so depressing to me yeah like, no, so abs- much good stuff absolutely you know? yeah. yeah yeah well it's, uh, it's good to know that it's in safe hands um, okay okay one more quick one from Tommy he says uh, what would a Stu interview about asking you about Star Wars so you was, <laughs> you collect that stuff or something I used to be into Star Wars like kind of before it all got kind of came back again you know like as a kid i grew up with that in the 70s and 80s like you know but um i really don't care about star wars right. now but um Instead of your favorite characters favorite character i don't know boba fett 
I want a Star Wars guy, so I don't really know. <laughs> Danny Roberts, he says, Keith, um, he's an NBL guy, right? Used to race Danny, yeah. Okay, so he says, why didn't you like Orlando, the NBL Florida track? And he says, you're a great guy. That's funny. I, I wonder how he knows I didn't like that track. Well, last straight, maybe? We would, um, <laughs> the, the Florida Nationals were always in the winter. Mm-hmm. So if we went down for him, we're the guys that it was, you know, six inches of snow on the ground and shitty winters and we're all out of shape and then we go down to Florida and yeah, have to yeah, race yeah. this super long track and we just get, you know, just get beat pretty bad. Not everyone, but I was one of those guys and It I was remember, a big it was a meathead track. One it was always the meathead yeah, guys that they did there. Such a like yeah. a pedaling track. Yeah. And I remember like I went down there for a national and I think I was in second in the semi and I didn't fuck up <laughs> and I got like seventh. Right. Like, I, I remember pedaling and right. like, there goes one person. Yeah. There goes someone else. There goes someone else. I'm like, oh man, I'm just out of shape right now. You know, I'm like, just well, never I, did good at Orlando. And I think the culture there, I don't know about so much now, but even into way past out, you know, my time, you go to Florida and there's always a lot of fast dudes from Florida. Big, yeah. str- it's like the culture there, big gears. Mm-hmm. You know, you always had Adam uh, Abadessa, you know, Milham, Shelby James, obviously guys I read about a little bit before me, race Milham, yeah. but everybody seemed <laughs> to come from there with big gears and, and uh, strong yeah. dudes. I mean, so they, were, win there. they were kind of the, the California equivalent where they had good weather year round. Mm-hmm. They had a big scene, a lot of good tracks. Mm-hmm. So they're racing year round, mm-hmm. you know, and so they're always in like, you know, tip top shape where we had six months of bad weather, six months of good weather. Right. And after those six months of, of winter and fall, like, you're in terrible shape. Yeah, you know? no, I get so it. So you, you kind of got to, like, bring it all back again. Yeah. Um, so they always did better, you know? Cool. Brian Colgrove, a former teammate on Cyclecraft, we mentioned yeah. him earlier today. He says, who were your biggest influences in, in race and editing? Um, editing, you know, let's just go photo-wise, Spike Jones. Mm. Um and even Brad McDonald, when he was doing photos for Go, it's like he had a he had a cool style with his photos and stuff that I liked. And um, you know, I guess learning like starting out with Snap too. It's like Brad and Steve Bundeck helped me a lot along the way. Brad helped me a lot in photos. Um, and then in racing, you know, it's funny. There's like guys that you were fan you were a fan of maybe. So like. Like Dave Clymer to me was like I love Dave Clymer as far as like a pro racer, um, but I probably liked him because he had, like he he was a jumper and he was like not your not your right. trick star type of dude. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, so, but I don't know if he influenced my riding at all. You know, I remember like Todd Lyons when he was an amateur, like on Eagle Snacks and CW. It's like I loved his style of riding and racing, mm-hmm. and he was like in the magazines jumping. You mm-hmm. know, and maybe like I always leaned back real far on the gate and maybe I got that from watching Todd Lyons yeah yeah he, he really did yes he did so like if, if there's any influence there on like the racing side like maybe that was one of them um but I think just within our scene for racing we had a really competitive awesome local scene so it's like Sundays were a big deal and making that main and like racing everyone each week like you you fed off each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and like going back to that 14 over open stuff that I was saying, like we literally had main events with um, multiple national number ones and like Timmy would be world number one. Brian Foster would be on the gate. Like mm. he'd come race our locals. 
and it was like you were nervous. Mm-hmm. It was it was a big deal to make that main. Like we had quarters wow. at local races, and it wasn't easy, you know. And um, so I think just within our local scene up there, there was a lot of influence racing guys and. And you guys all helped each other, you know? It's kind mm-hmm. of like, it reminds me like a little in- England, you know? Mm-hmm. Just like a little community with a lot of good people that everybody got yeah. good because of each other, you know? Yep. And it was a good little traveling crew at the same time when you went overseas or... Yeah, and it was like, as fun as it was, it was competitive. Like, we would, we only had racing one day a week, so we all rode the trails midweek, and if one guy is speed jumping that jump at the trails, you did it, yeah. you know? Or if he was doing this, you know, bump jump to manual... And then hitting the next set, it's like, no, oh, fuck that, I'm going to do that. Right. You know, it's like there was a lot of competition at the trails, even though it wasn't like said, you know? Who do you think had, because there's so many guys and we've talked about a lot of them already, who do you think was like the, the most technical, not necessarily the fastest, the technicalist guy out there, like, you know, riding tracks and, and pump, uh, pump tracks, uh, trails? Um, like in our scene, like I feel like there was a time where Rod Morales, Timmy, me, Gasca, Lafredo, like, we're all on the same mm-hmm. plane as far as, like, we're all fast at the track, but we're all, like, good at the trails, too. And um, everyone had technical shit down. Like, we could all manual good. Mm-hmm. We could all, like, bump jump to manual to speed jump stuff at the trails or on the track. Um, so there was a lot of guys, um, I yeah. think, at that time. And there's still, a, I mean, they still race there now, right? I've, I've seen yep. it. I think Wildman. still there. They have a fundraiser there last year, I think. Yep. And um, yeah, I kind of, it's a bummer because to me, like, that track was amazing. And um, I never went there, but I already heard it was always good, right? Well, it, it, it had this turning point where a lot of the guys that raced were unhappy with the track and we wanted better jumps and mm-hmm. we wanted, like, more fun out of the track. And the, um, it was a parents association and we'd go to the meetings and like people kind of spoke up like, Hey, this isn't fun or we want this or that. So they started letting the riders build the track Mm -hmm. and like the layout was pretty much always the same, but like the jump wise, like we made, we made jumps that were hard for us, but anyone could roll over them still. Mm -hmm. So like we had a, you know, a triple step that was like 25, 27 foot. And it was tall. And, you know, if you could jump that jump, like, that was a big deal. But a five-year-old novice can go up it and roll over. And still get through it, okay, yeah. Um, So we built the track for us, but we made it so anyone could race it. Mm -hmm. And I remember, like, every opening day, you would have, like, people crashing because the jumps were, like, new and different and hard. And everyone's bitching and complaining. And then two weeks later... Everyone's killing it. Right. And then all of a sudden you look at like how many national numbers are coming out of our yeah, track. It's like, benefiting everybody. This is the reason why we make this track this way. Look how good everyone is, you know? So um, our, our scene, our track, our trails definitely like made people really good. I think that's like France. They've always had good. I mean, you went to tours, right? I'm pretty sure you did. I went, tours? yeah, I went to tours one year. Um, and did an article out there. But there was, yeah, well, you definitely did an article. I remember seeing it in Snap. Well, I think it was Nasty the year he went as well. Yeah, but France have always, you can go back as far as tours and you can go back to the late 80s and even the the, the mid 80s. The tracks were just so good, technical, <clears> but look how many good riders. I mean, France continued just to pump out so many yeah. good riders and it's all down to, you know, obviously just good scene, good tracks and good riding there, you know? Yep. So I think that's always uh, benefited long term. 
Um, we got one here from Dave Bittner. I don't know if you raced, raced Dave. I used, to, I used to race Dave in amateur. Um, Pennsylvania, right? He was South Park. South Park. And he was one of those guys where you're like, fuck. Like, he's fast. He's like a first rate, like, yeah. fast guy, you know? Um, so I never liked racing him because he was good. Right. But um, never had like any bad rivalry right yeah yeah good guy Davis still in good shape I see his old mountain bike now on Facebook riding with Jason and uh, Javier Um, he said this could be a long one he says uh, what's wrong with BMX today and uh, (laughs) what's spot on so Um, like I said I'm not really in tune with what's going on today Um, and I you know like I said I don't (laughs) like the uniforms as like who cares right you know um, image wise that I think the uh, the tracks. It's just um, I don't know. It's not it's not the type of racing that I that I enjoy doing and that I like to see. Mm-hmm. It's just too fast and too um, I don't know. I get it. Um, I don't know. To, sorry, I'm going to butcher your name. Uh, Lalo Estrada. Do you know that guy? Nope. So he says, uh, why, with handlebars, I guess it's more on the freestyle <laughs> side, with handlebars getting taller and wider these days, why do you still <laughs> prefer to ride slams? <laughs> you're 90s, right? You're a 90s guy. Yeah, and I'm 5'6". Like, right. I, you know, I don't need 11-inch bars. Yeah. You know, I... Um, I'm sorry, man. I know I'm out of touch in that in freestyle, but I think they look so ugly. Yeah. I, you know, you got guys that are like, you know, young kids riding these bikes with huge bars trying to do an X up, and it looks ridiculous right you know, they can barely turn the bars around right um i just always like small bars and um you know it's funny like a friend of mine clay from colorado he was like making fun of my bars <laughs> and we're the same we're like you know if if he's not five six he's maybe five five like right. we're the same height and i was like wait a minute like let's line our bikes up together right. and our bars were at the same exact height right he just has a, a lower stem mm. i have a spacer under my stem right so, yeah you know it's like bigger bars, lower stem, smaller bars, taller stem. Right. It's the same shit, you know? Yeah, but, yeah. But um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not doing the big bar thing. I can't do it. No, no. It's like in racing, it's slamming the seat. If you're over 35, if you're sla- you know, all the racers slam the seat now. But yeah. if you're over 35 and, you, and you're slamming your seat, then you need to maybe look in the mirror and question yourself, you know? Yeah. I refuse to do it. You yeah. know? It's funny. Every year, my, my seat gets like half an inch taller. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and racing now, the seats, you know, they only come you like three or four inches. So yeah. I'm right. I'm past the line where like the, the danger <laughs> line, you know? So I almost need a custom one to, yep. to even be with somewhat where I don't need to. And I'm still too low down, you know? Because I don't <laughs> snap um we've got a long one here so i'll kind of break this one up tom borman do you know this guy no it doesn't ring bell so he says uh you filmed again this is probably out of my time when you was more uh ride trans world you filmed a bunch of street clips yeah, uh, how does it feel knowing you filmed a bunch of rad street clips on a beige aluminum schwinn in base brooklyn's neighborhood superheroes um yeah when uh so I don't know. I mean, this I was story. A, no, that was snap time, but basically, like, base is like a New York. Yeah, yeah, I had a shirt. T shirt, yeah, yeah, I bought and, one. And, um, you know, that's like part of the crew from back Enos, home. Enos, right? Enos and a bunch of guys. And, um, you know, they were doing a, a video, Neighborhood Superheroes. Glenn Milligan was making it. He lived out in What California. year was this? Um, probably late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. Um, I don't know the year. And, um, you know, I rode, I had, yeah, I had aluminum Schwinn at the time, mm-hmm. but the video was more going to be like a street video, mm-hmm. um, you know, street dirt jump and stuff. And, um, 
I would, I rode everything. It's like, even though I was a race guy, I rode trails, I ride street Mm -hmm. and yeah, I had an aluminum Schwinn with pegs (laughs) on it and, um, you know, did a bunch of street stuff on it, which is is funny. It's probably out of the norm. Uh, Obviously no one really does that shit. And, and we'll, and and still you're riding. I mean, looking at your house, you know, being at your house here today, Keith, I mean, you've got a mini ramp in the backyard. You've got trails around the house. So, um, still doing it all. I'm trying to, my, my jumps are shit. It's a, it's a small space. It's weird. Um, bad dirt so it's like tough to make jumps the way i want to and it's so dry out here um only rains a couple times in the winter so the jumps aren't that great it's kind of a a disappointment for how much like work it is of like how they are right now but they'll get better Uh, it's just like a slow work in progress and then um yeah i just built a mini ramp in, in the back too so that's real fun Cool. A um, couple of shout outs here. A lot, a lot of people commented just giving you a shout out. You know, Bart DeJong, Sean Duncan, Hippie, you know, he listens to all the podcasts. Yep. Russell Sherman um, and Bogey Givens. So cool. they'll give you a shout out. Bogey just came over um, at a little birthday barbecue when we finished the ramp. And Bogey oh, he did. He's yeah. remote control car guy, right? Yeah, he does I, a lot of car stuff. Yeah. But I've, I've ridden. Um, Ridden some trails and skate parks with Bogey like within the past year. So, so he's, he's still, still riding. riding. Oh, yeah. cool. It's yeah, awesome. it's good. Yeah, I remember <clears throat> battling. Even like Bogey was one of those guys at Orange that he wasn't pro, but he could beat the pros at Orange. You know, yeah. he used to be so fast. Yeah. Uh, fast amateur. No, so Fast for sure. Yeah, yeah cool to guy. still see him. Keith, I've still got a whole list of questions and stuff I want to talk to. And I really want to talk a lot about what's in front of me, all these magazines and stuff. <laughs> so we're going to have to do a part two. Because cool. I said... I did say this podcast is going to be about an hour, hour and a half, and we haven't even, there's still a whole lot more to cover. So that was awesome. Let's, uh, let's wrap this up, part one, guys, and uh, I'll definitely drive back up. It keeps only an hour away for me, so I can come back up here again and do a part, ta- uh, do a part two. Anything you want to finish this little bit off with or um, save all that for the next one? I got no, uh, no direction for yep. anything else, but thanks for doing this. It's been fun, and uh, it's crazy. A lot of stories, you know, and like you don't think of them on a daily basis and when you start like looking at magazines yeah we've only looked at snapped i mean there's a whole wall through i got a lot of magazines and it's like a lot of uh a lot of decades of bmx that we can like absolutely through you got some serious history here so if there's a fire i think uh (laughs) this is one of the first rooms you need to i know and i have like all videos and dvds under there you got vhs as well oh yeah can you watch all this stuff as well yeah it's funny i have a vcr that um a couple years ago for christmas um, my wife's like, "What do you want for Christmas?" And oh my god, I did the same one. I was, like, one. I was like, "I want a VCR." Yes, I got She's one. Like, Are you crazy? She's like, "Why do you want that?" I was like, "I have, you know, hundreds of videos that I still want to watch." Right. And, um, and she actually had a hard time like finding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. VCR. No, I got one as well. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah. a VCR DVD player. Right. Oh, I can but, see yeah. you looking at it now. Yeah. I mean, I have so many VHS tapes with like whether it's old local races on them or, Mm -hmm. you know, videos that only came out on VHS, you know? Right. You don't want to not be able to watch that. Absolutely. No, same as me. I'm not a bike collector, but I save magazines and VHS VHS tapes. I've got Mm -hmm. the English style in there and I've got a stash here as well. So something I never want to part with, like saving to sit and watch it all. You need, you literally need to retire to to be able to do it all just a little bit here and there, right? You know, I don't look at the videos very much. I was always kind of like watch a video once or twice and that's it. Right. Um, Just because I always had so much other stuff to to take care of. But um, I do go through magazines a lot and, um, you know, my magazine collection, like, it's not got everything, but it's got a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I'm super impressed. I've had a number of people that when they're working on stuff, 
they'll either come here or they ask me to scan stuff and uh-huh. uh, you know whether it's like the BF it video like um, Stu was at my place for a couple of days going through magazines and um, Chris Rye's working on a Jimmy Levan documentary so like I've sent him a bunch of stuff so. yeah I mean you really have the archives don't you you know yeah like I say at least in the race world there's probably not many guys I know the USA BMX ABA have got Mm-hmm. got their archives but I can't think of any other people you know yeah I get sad almost when you see people on Facebook and that selling like legit copies of magazines yeah. and stuff you know it's like wow how could you even or people who throw it away it's like why did you do that like Brian Castillo he was moving his office or cleaning stuff up and um he dumped like almost all of his magazines oh wow and he like told me like with no notice, right, yeah. and like I had to go away the next day for a trip or something. Right, I was like, had to come over. I was like, yeah. Why did you do that? Like I would have. There's so many issues of that magazine or this that I like might not have. Like I would have taken that stuff, mm-hmm. you know. But um, he's like, no, nope, throw it away. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I'm the same when I see people like I. Yeah, that's one thing I uh, treasure with everything: the magazines and uh, videos. Yep. Keith, that was awesome, and uh, look cool. f- look forward to uh, doing a part two. And uh, thanks everybody for listening to this. I think you guys uh, should enjoy this one, and look forward to doing part two. Thanks.